My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The and The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Warning. The Decision. The Spell. The Departure. The Sound. Discovery. The Proposal. The Threat. The Mutation. The Spiracy. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious. Resistance. The Extreme Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Not an Animorphs book. It's another mailbag episode. We love these. I especially love this one because I didn't even have to do the work of putting together the questions. So I just get to show up and talk about Animorphs books. Thanks, Ted. It's the ideal. So this time we're going to start off with updated rankings. Yes. I'm just starting with that. The Animorphs (laughs) books. I think that we should review maybe like kind of top 10, bottom five and see whether any new books have entered the arena. Oh, they have. Um, they have. Let's start with the the low end. Okay. Build the suspense on what our favorites Ooh, are. Ooh, all so, right. So, Jenny, why don't you start? Okay, What's all your right. updated bottom five? My updated bottom five, starting from, you know, the top, going all the way to the worst Animorphs book, in my opinion, 11, The Forgotten, 2, The Visitor, 4, The Message, 28, The Experiment, and 25, The Extreme. Wow. I did find in doing these rankings that there was sort of a recency bias in that recent books I tended to have a more extreme opinion about. Mm -hmm. So there are a couple that ended up in the middle, but there are also several that ended up in like the top five and the bottom five, because I clearly remembered what I liked and didn't like about them. Great. You want to go next? So my bottom five in order, The Visitor, Forgotten, The Underground, The Experiment, The Sickness. Oh, wow. I know. I'm sorry. I ruined That's the sickness. That's really interesting. I'm super I'm still okay. mad about I it. I can't wait to talk about this some more. Okay, so mine's relatively unchanged. Uh-huh. Uh, the only new one is at fifth from the bottom is the extreme. I still rank the underground, the message, Megamorph Swat, and the Forgotten beneath it. Wow, okay. And yeah. 28 was not in my bottom five. So Where did 25 end up for you, the extreme? Oh, it's very close to the bottom. Okay, all right. I, I was wondering if you loved it or something. No, no, no. no. It's like seven. Fifth or eighth to yeah. the bottom instead of fifth to the bottom. So I put it at the bottom because I do think of all the books we've read so far, if I were to tell someone to skip a book, that would be the first one I would tell them to skip. Mm-hmm. And I think 28 would be the second one I'd tell them to skip because it was it was funny, but not as funny as the like the ones that I've really loved. Like I gave 27 a boost for being just hilarious in some chapters. And also the Adventure didn't really go anywhere. It was, yeah. Like I said, recency bias. I remembered all the bad things about it. I feel like, for me, 28 is in the same category as, like, 15, where it's, like, Mm. it had interesting stuff in it, but isn't, like, overall one of the best ones. Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. potential for greatness, but actually not that good. I liked 15 more. 15 is, like, smack in the middle for me, because I feel like... Marco has a lot of really interesting emotional stuff there, and Axe just didn't have that much. Like, he sort of had some musings about, like, humans' attitude towards animals, but I really value the, like, emotional angst and turmoil and the Animorphs working through that, and that wasn't really present in 28. That's a really good Or point. 25. Yeah, it's it's really interesting doing these lists, figuring out, like, what, like, I love the very, very funny bantery scenes, mm-hmm. and I love the really angsty stuff. Mm-hmm. So, what about the sickness? How can the sickness possibly <laughs> be the worst? Possibly book? be worse than the forgotten. <laughs> I I really think that the problem that I'm struggling with here is the You've difference. You've forgotten between, the forgotten. 
<laughs> when, you, when you put it like that. No, I think it's the difference between how good a book is and how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think I'm like ranking them more on how much I liked them. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, how, you, and that's, that's, how, that's how I do it too. Yeah. Right. yeah. So The Forgotten was, I didn't like it. It was fine. Right? It wasn't mm-hmm. one of my favorites. It wasn't one of my least favorites. It's like the bottom 10 for sure, but it's not yeah. like... But I really did. The 29 just, I was so annoyed by the whole, all of it, that mm. it dropped real far on my list. Even though I know you guys love it. It was one of the first ones where I was unable to lose myself in the story. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I have 29 as the bottom of my top 10, I just counted. And it's, yeah, there are a few things I just really love about it. Mm-hmm. And I'm completely able to suspend disbelief for it in a way that it seems like I, you coming to it as an adult, understandably, have more trouble. I have realized in this reread that I'm a sucker for the happy endings for the end ones. So like <laughs> all of the ones, like 13 or 29, mm-hmm. where like, it's unquestionably a win. I'm like, those are going straight to the <laughs> Yeah, whereas I... I mean, Cassie doesn't super have the most angst, but I, I loved the other Animorphs being whittled away from her and her having to be, like, the solo hero mm-hmm. doing the stuff and, like, pulling off these ridiculous saves and performing brain surgery. Yeah. I think your point about the emotional angst is, like, for me, so I really like book one, mm-hmm. but it's not that high on my list. And I think looking at my list, the ones with, like, all the good feelings from the Animorphs are, like, above it. And then uh-huh. the ones below are, like, oh, this was, like, fun or exciting or an yeah, interesting plot, yeah. but it wasn't maybe the most uh, angsty or emotionally rich. I was a little surprised by some of my top choices, like, the right. way that I ended up well, choosing. Well, why, why don't you tell okay. us? Okay. Well, the top will not be a surprise since I've already said it on the podcast. I went with number 19, Departure. I actually just wrote the numbers on the list, so I have to be thinking of the titles as I say it. It's a nice challenge for me. <laughs> I think I've already said the ways in which I love that book. And the second book currently on my list is number 22, The Solution, which I hadn't prior to going through this reread, I wouldn't have said that it was one of my favorite books, but I really loved the depth of angst in it and like the suddenly Rachel's dealing with these incredibly difficult issues. Like I think it's probably the most difficult decision the Animorphs have to face. And they're finally reckoning with this thing that's been building for three books. And it just, the choice they make is absolutely gutting. And yeah. After that, I had six, The Capture, and seven, The Stranger. And then I had 23, The Pretender, which was tough for me because I think 23 had some flaws, but I think that the good stuff in it outweighed that for me. I I was really torn. I had 26 in my number six slot and was like, I feel like the Rachel Tobias stuff in 23, I'm just more attached to than the Jay Cassie so stuff in 26. 23 is your top Tobias book? Yes. <laughs> Currently. We'll see. The other two Tobias books are also in my top 10. Nice. So it was 23, then 26. 23 was there for the angst. 26 was there more for the plot. I love the way they pull that solution out. Like, I think it's like up there with 13 as like really well plotted books. Uh, and then three, the encounter and 13, the change. Then nine, then 29. Nice. Yeah. Okay. So no one will be surprised to hear that my number one book is number 19. The yes. Mm-hmm. Enough said. <laughs> you may be surprised to learn that I agree with Jenny about <gasps> number two book is the solution. Amazing. That's um, great. You said it just as as well as I could. I think it's by far my favorite Rachel book so far. I have The Stranger also in my top 10. But I feel like the way that the Animorphs finally have to deal with consequences for one of their choices is so interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And like the kind of this kind of serialized story is kind of based around like the hitting the reset button each week. And this yeah. is one where like 
you know, to some extent, they bring up David later on, and they're like, oh, yeah, that was bad. And they don't really like dwell <laughs> on it, but it really feels like a line has been crossed yeah. for the first time. My number three book is still number three, The Encounter. Mm-hmm. I have number four being uh, 26, The Attack. It's my favorite Jake book so mm-hmm. far. Like I said before, I like it when the Animorphs win. This is a big win. It's very clever. I like all of the world building, and I like the way that it it finally puts the Elemist into kind of a context where I can get behind it, where it's like, okay, so they're, they have this like God figure on their side, mm-hmm. but he doesn't really care about them. And they're like the ants on, a, on the chessboard metaphor really mm-hmm. works for me. And it's cool to see them yeah. pull off a win on that like epic space fantasy saga yeah. scale. Mm-hmm. At number five is The Secret, which is uh, the second Cassie book, then uh, the second Rachel book, The Stranger, number seven, then number 13, The Change, uh, and then at number eight, the threat, the Jake versus David book. That was in my eleventh mm. slot, just FYI. Yeah. So again, I mean, it's sort of for all the same reasons that I like twenty two, mm-hmm. but twenty two wouldn't be as good without the setup that twenty one gives, because mm-hmm. that the choice that Jake makes at the end to call on Rachel sets up her whole character arc in yeah. the next book, and then mm-hmm. the, the climax of the whole trilogy is when Jake and Rachel are talking in the hospital. So number twenty one really stood out to me. When I was ranking these, number twenty is like way down. On the list oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my last two are the Predator uh, number five, which I still love, the first Marco book, mm-hmm. and the Capture. Nice. I had to go. I just counted. I have to go eighteen places down on my list before I hit a Marco or Axe book, hmm. and Oof. then it's uh, an Axe book, and then three Marco books in a row, <laughs> just like all really solidly in the middle there. I love the first Marco book. Every other Marco book is pretty far down, so I'm excited. Mm-hmm. I'm excited for another good Marco book if there ever is one. Something that I think is interesting is that my top ten includes all the spinoff books. Wow. Neither of your top tens do. No, my, the spinoff books are all very low yeah, for me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all right, so uh, The Change is still my favorite because nice. I love to ice. Uh, then win. The Hork-Bajir Chronicles. The Invasion, because it was my first Animorphs book. Aw. Then The Andalite Chronicles. They are silly and dumb, and I love them very much. <laughs> then Megamorphs 2. That is in my top five because... Um, dinosaurs? Dinosaurs. <laughs> dinosaurs. Yeah. I'm super predictable. Let's be honest. <laughs> no, I'm, there's I'm, nothing wrong with there's, that. I just... They got to hang out with dinosaurs. I love dinosaurs. Yeah. Maybe um, Wars 2 is the top of my, like... The top of the books that don't have strong emotional things in them. It's like right below the invasion. It's yeah. like Wars 2. Well, the thing about it is it's just so silly. I think a lot of my top ten I like because they're silly. Yeah. Um, Silliness, like, got you into the top of my middle for me. Fair, yeah. Like, 12 and 24 and both Megamorphs books are, mm-hmm. like, in there. And 27 for some of its wonderfully silly scenes. Yeah, exactly. I think that it makes a lot of sense. Uh, so that's my top five. Then in sixth place, I had The Solution. Um, I agree that that's an excellent book. And also talking about that, there was just so much to talk about and think about with yeah. that one. Uh, then Megamorphs 2. I know, it's silly. Wait, no. you already had Megamorphs 2. Sorry, Megamorphs 1 okay. is in seventh place. Then The Departure. Then The Secret. And then The Encounter. Nice. Okay. Yeah, it is interesting that Ted's and my lists are so much more similar than either of our lists are to yours. And probably there's some just like... I don't know, maybe we have enough similar tastes in it, but there's got to be a really strong, like, childhood influence. Like, we read these at a time when we were looking for specific things out of books mm-hmm. that, like, as adults, you just kind of bring a different perspective. Yeah. yeah, I think especially that's true for the emotional resonance. Mm-hmm. Right, yep. so 
The emotional angst of 13-year-olds is, <laughs> as someone two decades older than them, not all that interesting to me. Oh, yeah. And I still, like, it still resonates with me because I read it at that age. Right. I mean, I was 13 for a lot of these. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you, I think having that um, nostalgia really does affect, affect your feelings about this. Yeah, like, I couldn't bump 23 farther down the list because I was sort of playing the game like, okay, if I had to lose one of these two books from mm-hmm. the Animorphs series, like never get to read it again, maybe never got to read it in the first place, like, which would it be? And I could not lose that chapter where Rachel and Tobias have that conversation. Like, I have memorized large swaths of that chapter. Like, Mm -hmm. I was never going to be able to cut that book. Are there other books that didn't come up that we want to ask about? Hmm. So I had Hork Bajir Chronicles as number 14 on my list, and that was the highest ranked of the Megamorphs or Chronicles books. Nice. Where does your your top one come in, Jenny? So I have Megamorphs 2 and then Megamorphs 1 right in the middle. I thought Megamorphs 2 was more interesting than Megamorphs 1. They both had a lot of really good group dynamic stuff, like interesting in different ways. Megamorphs 2 would have done better for me if the ending had been more narratively satisfying, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. I have Horkbidger Chronicles 10th from the bottom. So I liked it more than Andalite Chronicles. I gave it sort of a boost because I liked it when I read it when I was younger. I liked it significantly less when I read it now. Yeah. Okay. What about Helmicrons or Morphing Allergy? Helmicrons. I had... 12 and then 24. So Morphing Allergy, then Helmicrons, like right next to each other. In I have place, the same 13 and 14. It, it was a really <laughs> tough call for me. It was a really tough call. No, wait, because the end of the one with the reaction is the, the Benny Hill music backstage of the thing. The Never mind, that order. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So first I should say, we got so many great questions on all types of social media and on amazing. our website. And before we get into the kind of like choose your own topic section. There mm-hmm. were a few big questions that I thought we could tackle. Ooh, exciting. Stage. Okay. So first comes from CJ Writer Gal. Compared to the way the characters fit their tropes at the beginning of the series, who do you think has had the most interesting or unique development within those tropes Ooh, so far? What an interesting question. Can we talk through each of the characters and just like yeah. think about some of it out loud? Okay, the question is within the trope, not necessarily away from the trope. Like not necessarily who's left to their role. It like, could be that. I think it's just more, we defined them as this like band of five, yeah. and it's so clear that that's how they fit. So the question is, who's changed the most or developed the most? Yeah, I feel like a lot of them have become sort of more extreme versions of what they were. And I think the exception to that is Marco, mm-hmm. and maybe also Axe. Because like Jake has taken on, he was just like, you know, average kid, and he like has become this military leader. And I think Someone has commented on this, like one of the Animorphs in recent books about like, now he's making these life or death decisions for these other people. And you can see how much it has forced him to mature in ways that he wasn't ready for, but he's like rising to the occasion, but it takes this huge toll on him. And I don't know, I'm a little worried about the kid. I am also worried about him. Yeah. I think you're right that they have become more extreme examples of themselves. Yeah. Because then you get Rachel in the warrior role where she started off as... She was tall and strong and therefore was and had a good battle more. I don't know. She's the kind of person who's like not going to take any crap from anyone right at the beginning. She was already protective. Like you could see her being protective of Tobias. Mm -hmm. But now she's like. Can I give you a good example of that that somebody pointed out? Mm -hmm. So um, even if Pizer wrote in on episode 19, just to call back to book one, this is a quote that shows who Rachel has been this whole time. So this Mm -hmm. is in the construction site. No, no, no. I heard Cassie whispering over and over again. No, 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 no. Don't look, Rachel said to her. She put her arm around Cassie's shoulder and held her close. 
Then she reached for Tobias and took yeah. his hand. I guess you never really know someone until you see them scared. And even scared to death, with tears running down her face, Rachel had strength to spare. Yeah, that's such a part of her from the beginning. And it's so great that she keeps that. Like, at one point, I think probably Marco calls her a deranged violence junkie, which is like something she's coming to grapple with in herself, that she is maybe addicted to this violence. But she still has this core of wanting to protect other people. And I think there's some tension there in her. And yeah, she's trying to figure out how to balance those things. But yeah, the the part of her that loves a fight has really become exaggerated. You were talking about Jake as kind of like sort of an everyman. Mm-hmm. Do you think he has other tropes or characteristics? Like who, you know, in the first book especially, he comes mm-hmm. off as like this very generic protagonist. But yeah. other than this like now generic protagonist under the weight of... <laughs> you know, leading the Animorphs. Are there other, like, tropes that you fall into? What do you mean? Do you, like, do you have like an answer a normal, for this? Yeah. in a normal high school teen story, who mm-hmm. is Jake? It's weird because I, th- I feel like he's the jock, although it seems like he was sort of a failed jock when we met him. Uh, yeah, I was going to say he's the romantic lead. Yeah. Which can also be the same thing. I mean, he's the, he's the dean in Gilmore Girls, is what he is. He's Zac Efron in High School Musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. <laughs> So uh, Rena's take on this was that he's kind of a dumb jock character who's mm-hmm. like an antagonist or foil because like he's not good at sports. Oh. He's not that good at academics. Right? <laughs> he's just kind of like his his defining characteristic is that he like works hard and like studies. Right. Like he's like, yeah. he's like reading about wars to like become mm-hmm. better at it. Um, he, yeah. he persists and he's kind of like risen to the occasion. I don't feel like he's the antagonist dumb jock because he was like the one who's defending Tobias from bullies already before the start of the series. I feel like he's more the boy next door, the sort of like sweet guy who's like always there and maybe isn't the brightest, but like. Yeah, Dean's a good comparison. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So Cassie, I feel like, has also grown really well into her role. Like she is much more conflicted and I think she has a lot of self-doubt, but I feel like that's a really important attribute of her. Like, she has done a lot of really serious grappling with moral issues and hasn't really come to conclusions because that's not really who she is. Like, she's someone who will continue to grapple with these things because they deserve to be grappled with. Like, it seemed like in the lead up to 19, like, she was having trouble functioning as the conscience of the group, which is legit. And it feels like she is more able now to take that role on and, like, set her own boundaries around it. Like, in 25, we saw her, when they were in the Arctic, we saw her being like, what, Marco? I'm not going to attack you on this thing that we should obviously do. We need to eat this seal. Like, here are here is my stance on this. Like, this is where I stand. I do think that for someone whose role is the heart, her arc has been much more internal hmm. than I might expect. She doesn't often serve as the peacekeeper, for example. You might expect no. She definitely does it occasionally, but that's not her primary function. Yeah, yeah, and I mean she's supportive. She's much more the conscience than the peacekeeper. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And even in the in the conscience aspects of it, which I think you're you're completely right. But even that seems to be more of an internal. She's struggling with her own conscience and her own understanding of what they're doing, but not maybe challenging the other members of the group as much. Yeah. As you might expect someone who is filling just that one trope. So I think she's That's kind interesting. Of yeah. Because I feel like it's not, I feel like she shouldn't be more external than she is. Because like, I think we shouldn't expect her to do all the conscience work for the whole group. Yeah. Nor all well, the emotional labor. But yeah. But I also think, it, I think part of being like the chick maybe is, is not 
that bit that we get from her in the early books where she's kind of really cowardly and like mm-hmm. doesn't have this innate bravery where she wants to like run into the fight and get her hands dirty. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that part of her has changed too, right? She's definitely mm-hmm. gone from being like, she's a normal yeah. girl who's caught up in a war to being a soldier with a conscience, right? Yeah. Like you can see that, you know, she gets to the point of quitting and then 10 books in, she saves the day all by herself, mm-hmm. which is a really interesting development. It's a really good point. Yeah. I feel like Cassie might be the person who is most consistently changing from book to book. Like, yeah. if you think about where she is in 4 and 9 and 19. Yeah, and really good arc. Yeah. And then some of the stuff in, like, uh, 25 and 28. and Or in 16. Um, yeah, with Jake, the conversation with, with the series. Yeah, there are, like, there are a lot of little beats where the T-Rex she's kind thing of in a different... Too. Right, where yeah. she's in a different place. Whereas, like mm-hmm. you were saying... Rachel kind of is like a linear thing, and then it's like she she's now like in ex- super extreme Rachel, <laughs> right? Like though Rachel also I feel like has had an interesting arc because we saw like in seven and seventeen she is dealing with some things she's particularly dealing with fear in seventeen, but she hasn't come to recognize her love of violence is a problem. She still sees it as like a good thing. And then in twenty two she really faces it, and then in twenty seven she you can see that she's trying to grapple with it. It feels like it's still building. Like, 27 isn't as extreme as 22. What about Tobias? He's kind of two steps forward, two steps back. I feel like he has the same conflict in every book. Yeah. I I was going to say, I don't feel like he's had much of an arc. Like, he has this thing he's always dealing with. And he's, like, sort of has to come to peace with being a bird every time. In new and fun ways sometimes. Yeah. Which makes sense. Like, you have problems, you don't just deal with them in one book and then move on. I mean, the rest of them, too. (laughs) I mean, Tobias and Axe are shortchanged because they have fewer um, stories from their point of view. Mm -hmm. I do feel like Tobias, for me at least, the most powerful Tobias book is still the first one because he's just, he's dealing with how this new problem of being a bird all the time yeah. has completely changed his life forever, right? And it it gets easier from there, right? Like, yeah. it's still really, really hard, and, like, the war drags him down, mm-hmm. but, like, he gets the ability to morph back, there are other things, you know. And all the Tobias books are so good. I just, yeah. I wonder if we'd gotten more of them, would they have been less good? Probably. They probably can't keep that up, because it is kind of the same problem every book. Marco is such an interesting case. He, We've seen some real growth from him, and then we've seen some, like, Oh, there's typical Marco, like very recently, like as recently as book 28, where I I feel like he as a character, like knows that he is being constrained by his role within the group. But then also in terms of writing the series, he is being constrained by his role as a character in these books, Mm, where like, they need him to say the funny things or sometimes the like, really terrible, assholish things. Where, like, someone needs to challenge Cassie, and, I mean, I'm inclined to blame ghostwriters for this, maybe that's not fair, but, like, where he just, like, does it without any indication of this value we've seen him come to place on her opinions. Mm -hmm. So I feel like he has this very inconsistent growth. He hasn't become a more extreme version of what he was. I think he has had it nuanced in, like, some of these connections he's had with Cassie about issues, and then he's sometimes had the nuance taken away. Mm. Yeah, I think, so... The Marco books are not that high on any of our lists. Yeah. But I do think he has, he's been involved in the most interesting character changes throughout the series. Because you mentioned Marco and Cassie just now. But I think Mm -hmm. the way that Marco and Rachel and Marco and Tobias relate to each other in the group dynamic has evolved significantly throughout the series. Like it started, Marco used to basically bully Tobias. Mm -hmm. And now they're a lot more, again, they're like fighting the war together and he's not like yeah. picking on him anymore like that yeah. dynamic went away mm-hmm. similarly 
he was like more annoying to Rachel, and now she's pushing back, and they have kind of this like dynamic between them. It seems that they've like into. mostly they've settled into this comfortable thing, and then sometimes we still see ex- weird exceptions. Right, and then yeah. the Marco and Cassie thing again. There's like a lot. They spend a lot of time together mm-hmm. you know, over the past ten books, and usually he has a lot more respect for her her positions and her way of doing things, and he understands like that she's being consistent in making her choices whereas he thinks like rachel is maybe acting out of emotion he like he doesn't agree with cassie but he respects yeah she's deciding for different reasons something that we talk about in 29 is uh who takes over as leader if jake Mm -hmm, is out of commission mm -hmm. and marco his role in the band of five is lieutenant trusted Uh lieutenant and i think it's interesting that he falls into about half of the characteristics (laughs) that that trope usually takes on. Mm -hmm. So he's the foil to Jake. He's the comic relief. What he's not is second in command. Yeah, he's very helpful logistically, but he's not someone who could easily step up Mm -hmm. in large part because, I mean, he doesn't have any of Jake's skills at like emotionally connecting with people and bringing them together. He could never lead Rachel. Right. Right. Like, he could maybe passively lead, like, Cassie, Tobias, and Axe for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Because they're not going to challenge him as much on things. Maybe Tobias would a little. Maybe if it was something unethical, Cassie would. But, like, he and Rachel would butt heads so badly. Like, neither yeah. of them could be in charge. And I think to some extent that's one of the things that I dislike about Marco. You know, he's never really my favorite character. But one of them is that his style of humor is not my style of humor. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that it isn't is he has a much more antagonistic mm-hmm. sense of humor where his humor is very pointed yeah. at specific people and kind of you know, teasing yeah. them as and opposed to... He also, he he isn't good at leading people, but he is good at identifying people's like emotional weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So yes. when he, he can pretty easily go over the line from like teasing you in a friendly way mm-hmm. to making you feel really, really bad. Yeah. Like he knows yes. how to hit where it yeah. goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we didn't really talk about Axe. I feel like Axe has mellowed. Like, he was a very extreme version of something in 8. Yeah. I, does he have a personality? I don't know. <laughs> like, he, I feel like his arc is about how he integrates with the group and not, yeah. like, who he is. I feel like the stuff about him being a warrior just has never done it for me. It's, like, so generic. He's I don't very know. silly, and, like, I feel like that's more who he actually is. But he does get reduced to his species really easily. Yeah. Like, there's that thing where Jake's describing them all, and he's like, personality-based descriptions of all of them. And he's like, and then Axe, an alien. <laughs> <laughs> that kind Jake. of is his personality yeah. in a lot of these books. And so, because, like, there's so much distinctive, like, that just comes from his position on Earth and his background as an Andalite, it's hard to know, like, would a different Andalite in this situation do different things? But I do think that he, probably the moments that shine are the, like, from 8 and 18, when he's interacting with Andalite society, right? Mm, he has yeah. the, like, phoning home bit in 8, and then he interacts with the Andalite captain in 18. Yeah. So those moments where his, like, his loyalty is questioned, mm-hmm. and it's, like, kind of a person-to-person thing, he does... I do really like him there and the yeah, way that he's like, hold on, I'm not just an alien. Turns out these human <laughs> teams are maybe more right than all of the professional and white soldiers. Yeah. And I like the chances when he gets to be the outside narrator who's kind like, of... Like comment on society yeah. and saying stuff, mm, pointing stuff yeah. out. Isn't it weird? Look at these humans and their weird ways of doing things. <laughs> and I enjoy those moments. I wish he had more of them. 
But yeah, reading the Andalite Chronicles, I kept calling Elfingor Axe in my head just because they kind of blur together. And they are brothers, maybe they're more similar, but it's the, they're Andalites. And they're a certain kind of sort of generic good guy, young warrior Andalite. Yeah. It's funny, I, that's so true. And yet my immediate reaction was like, no, Elfingor has much more of a personality than Axe does. (laughs) Why do I think that? I have only known him for two books, really. And I was going to say, Aldrea has even more of a personality than either of them. It's just a terrible personality. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) I don't want to spend any time with him. But yeah, Axe is so delightful. And the way he goes crazy over, like, certain human foods and TV and all that stuff, it feels like it should add up to a personality, and I I still feel like something is missing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, did we have a conclusion on, like, who changed the most? I don't know if I really, really did. Decide for yourselves, listeners. <laughs> How many times can you use do. this episode? Yes, what's your opinion? I think Cassie changes the most, and then okay. Jake. I th- yeah, I Rachel think... Rachel changes a lot. And then Rachel. Okay. And then the other three. <laughs> I think Cassie's had the most interesting or unique development. Yeah. Ready for our next discussion topic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is from Vingte. How do you think the series would change if it were written for adults or for, quote, artistic merit without commercial strings? <laughs> oh, the, those are two very interesting and different questions. I think if it were written for adults, it would have a lot more romance and sex. Why? Because that's what adults because, like to read? Or? No, because adults have a lot more romance and sex than 13-year-olds do. Like, this feels like a very, like, it feels like what we've seen for, like, Jake and Cassie and Rachel and Tobias is a very natural progression of 13, maybe now 14-year-olds being like, I don't know, I like you. Maybe we hold hands once and it's the biggest event of the year. And I think things just get more dramatic and more intense more quickly in adult romantic relationships. I mean, I've also written a version of the invasion where they're all adults and the differences are basically they have to deal with jobs instead of families, which it's easier to get out of stuff when you're an adult, but you're expected to act normal and like you want to be places in a way that kids aren't. And it's sometimes harder to get around your family's restrictions when you're a kid. But when you have, say, a romantic partner, you maybe have more freedom, but also you're expected to be emotionally open in a way kids, like 13-year-olds, aren't expected to be with their parents. So, like, it's an interesting trade-off. Freedom but responsibility. Well, you made me think of something else, which is a different way of thinking about the question, it wouldn't be written for adults, right? So this is something you were saying earlier, Gray, but, like, you were assuming if the Animorphs were adults, right? Which is because it's only interesting to read about adults at, like, an adult level. Oh, so, like, if this book about 13-year-olds were written for adults. Right. If you were reading about (laughs) a book about, like, child soldiers and with, like, a sci-fi premise written for adults, it would be maybe, like, almost too heavy-handed in terms of how traumatizing it is. I feel like you would get... The Animorphs would probably be a lot more heroic because you would just emphasize that 13-year-olds are pretty much terrible. Right, like yeah. if you're if they're like real versions of them, and not like the way a nine year old looks up to a thirteen year old. If this were written for adults, you'd have to build out the rest of the world more. You'd have to focus less on the interior lives of these thirteen year olds because adults don't care as much, as Gray pointed out. And so I think it would have to be sort of more elaborate sci fi. It would be weird to not have the adults be characters the way like they aren't really agents in the books right now. Would it, like would yeah. it be just like a series of vignettes about like? All of their parents, and they don't realize that their kids are like. Oh, <laughs> that would be funny. I was trying to think of books written for an adult audience that have teenage protagonists. Mm-hmm. 
which there aren't many. No, right? it's not really that much of a thing. And the the one that I can think of is Ender's Game, which it's still young adult, but it's not meant for a six year old to read, even though it's about a six year old. Right, it's young adult, but ish. Right, yeah, in ish. the way yeah. that sci-fi and fantasy can yeah. be a little more ish than other genres. Mm-hmm. And I think all of the points that you raised are exactly right. There's a lot less interiority yeah. for Ender. Uh-huh. There's some, but not as much. And the adults have much more complex arcs. Mm-hmm. And the world building is a lot yeah. deeper, yeah. which is perhaps why some of my expectations for these books are too <laughs> So for written without commercial... Like, if they, if they just publish this online as, like, you know, fan fiction well, or original fiction, okay, but, you know, online so or something. So, to set the context for this, when asked, like, why do they write the Animorphs, they were like, we wanted to make a ton of money. And this was <laughs> our, like, last pitch to Scholastic of, like, it would be awesome if we could write this. And then yeah. Scholastic said, go for it. But the whole idea was get to 14 books a year, turn it out, start right. up two so more Right, so presumably series. they would do it much slower. And right. they they could take more time with each book and they wouldn't be, like, rushing through stuff. They would never have gotten ghostwriters because why would you get someone else to write your thing if you're not getting money for it? And I think that might have helped with some of the things where we're like, okay, well, this was sort of a throwaway book or, like... Because you could see it being a series that was six books. Yeah, we would have ended up with far fewer books. Mm-hmm. Which would be kind of a bummer. Yeah, I feel like there are things that only work because it's serialized, right? Mm-hmm. If you were writing a story about Jake becoming a leader, there would be much more of an arc within the book, and you wouldn't mm-hmm. have this interesting, you check back every six months on yeah, each that's character definitely and true. see how things have changed. And sometimes they've changed a lot, and sometimes they haven't changed yeah. at all. It's also the guidelines, the conventions of the middle grade genre at the time, and the speed help dictate the length of the books and the way that like sometimes you, you're like oh the main plot wrapped up oh and there's like three pages left and that's the end and that specific length is a product of the genre but i do also think it works really well for these books this like is, you were saying it creates the serialization effect. this gets into a, a question that came from uh, ks so they mm-hmm. wrote a comment on our website saying it seems like in some of the more recent books there's more of a sense of time progressing, especially because of the romance elements, mm-hmm. like the kiss, the dance. Rachel's getting hit on more. Oh, yeah, like they're growing up. Yeah, and they're basically saying that if you were adapting the series, there's always a conversation about adapting the series and like what plot should stay and what plot should go. And they're mm-hmm. kind of saying like the fact that you can see these little moments from book yeah. to book makes a case for this being the best medium for the Animorph <laughs> series. So if we have other thoughts on like what the strengths of a series of middle grade books are versus mm-hmm. like other ways of telling a similar story. Yeah, I mean, I've said before, I feel like the Horvature Chronicles, for example, suffered because it was trying to tell its whole story in this short period of time. And it's a huge story. And the Animorphs is also a huge story, but it's it has all these many, many books to tell it over. And I think sometimes that does result in stuff like okay, it seems like Marco was progressing in these ways, but oh, now he's just been like slotted right back into where he was because we need him to be there. And or maybe we forgot or we're just not, you know, we're rushing and getting ghostwriters and not paying enough attention. I wonder if that's how things would be different is because you part of the thing, the tricks that the books pull is that it starts out with this fairly simplistic premise, like Mm -hmm. good alien dies tragically kids have to fight off the bad aliens. And then you get mm-hmm. to introduce layers of complexity around like, well, maybe the Andalites are a little shady. Maybe <laughs> yeah. not all Yurks are that bad. Oh, yeah. turns out the worst character in all of Animorphs Dumb is another human teen. Right? <laughs> like, whereas you would probably assume all of that complexity up front starting out. And maybe it would be a lot more like 
your protagonists are like one of the Animorphs and Elfangor and like, I don't know, Visser 3 or something. Mm-hmm. It would be like a lot more of like epic scale. Definitely if it were written for adults, like mm-hmm. you would, the complexity would be introduced a lot sooner. And it works really nicely that the complexity gets to be slowly drawn out and like, oh, in book 10, we mentioned Z-Space for the first time. <laughs> Grey rolls her eyes. It's a Pavlovian response yeah. at this point. I think that's that's a really interesting point. We one of my book clubs recently were talking about serialization in literature mm-hmm. and what what benefits it can provide or detractions, mm-hmm. pros and cons of uh, of serialization. I really like serialized fiction. I uh-huh. think it's it's interesting. And the thing about serialization is, you know, there's another one coming. Mm-hmm. So it both provides a necessity for some kind of cliffhanger, right? You Uh you need to know that there's going to be another adventure, but also takes away some of the suspense of that because you also have to live for the next adventure, right? And I think the Animorphs has both the pros and cons of that, right? Because you do get a little bit of the, well, there's going to be another, I don't know, monster of the week or some kind of adventure, but it also allows there to be that kind of through plot that yeah. you know they're trying to, to fight this battle. And where they can talk about these moral issues and not immediately resolve them because they can keep addressing them and making them more mm-hmm. complex. And I love serialization. Like one of my, one of the things, there are a lot of reasons that I love the Animorphs books, but one of them is that there are just so many adventures and you can kind of just live in this world with them. It's funny to be like, it's so fun to live in the world of these kids who are child soldiers. But of course, you're just reading them. You get the fun parts. You don't really suffer the terrible parts. But yeah, that is the feeling of like getting to sort of dwell with them over these many, many different adventures. It's different than like, if you get like a really huge action packed trilogy, you can't kind of stay with them. I mean, you can reread as many times as you want, but you don't get this sort of like, and here's another adventure and another adventure and another adventure. And I just love that. So related question about reimagining the series or like what our expectations are from this kind of series. Rena commented on episode 17, which was a book we weren't super fans of, wondering if our reaction to the language used about mental health is more commentary on the inappropriateness of the character's dialogue within the story or a criticism of the book or the authors for having put those words in the mouths of the protagonists. And she mentioned there's like a trend that hero characters shouldn't be bad role models uh, because it sets a bad example for readers, um, or at least protagonists that do bad things should like learn their lesson by the end of the book. (laughs) Um, And she points out that there are some things in the books, like the way Marco bullies Tobias he has stopped doing that, but mm-hmm. he never had his moment in court where they said, <laughs> Marco, you know, bullying, it's bad. Um, oh, that so, would have seemed so, like, hitting us over the head with it. Right. So, thoughts on that? It's a really good point. It's something that I struggle with in, in other areas, too, but where I have come down after having a lot of thoughts and feelings and conversations about this topic is the excuse of that's how people talk. Or that's how they would have talked in the 90s. That's the, those are the words they would have used. That's the thought pattern they would have had. Is not sufficient for me as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Because if you're saying that it is too much of a suspension of disbelief to believe that kids in the 90s <laughs> wouldn't be insensitive to people with disabilities, I would like to point out that you are asking me to suspend my disbelief <laughs> for blue and tan aliens. So... I don't buy that as a as a reason to continue to use language and actions that are to me hurtful or offensive. 
that's not to say that that is a good reason for the authors not to do that. No. But that's where I kind of come down on it. I feel like once you get to the point where you're like, okay, you have these five kids created as we've already created them. You know, they're all able-bodied, like walking up to this like mental institution. What should their dialogue be? Like, that is sort of a false scenario. You didn't have to put them there. So I think it would have been fake in a way that would deprioritize storytelling to have put them in that situation and then been like, and none of them say anything even remotely offensive. In fact, they say wonderful things. But like, there are ways to do it that are like fake and like, oh, you're not telling a story. You're just writing a lesson and then putting some characters on it. Mm -hmm. But also, you could just tell a story where they don't go to the mental institution and like, or if they do where like, like we talked about in Horkature Chronicles, where maybe like one of the characters is like dealing with one of these issues. Like you didn't have to have teens who have no personal connection to this. You didn't have to put them in a situation where they're going to talk about this. Yeah. I mean, one of them could have shown up to the mental institution and been like, oh, hey, here's the place where my, you know, uncle lives or whatever, right? There are other ways to, I agree, there are other ways. And I should say, like, they could have had a story where they interacted with a mental institution where they did deal with it better, my sort of straw man, like, and then they start preaching about accepting Mm -hmm. mental health differences. Like, that's not the only way to do it, but... There's a You could, there are so many choices you could make that don't involve the kids making those jokes. I also think there's a sort of piggybacking on that. You both brought up so many good points about how the Horkbajir Chronicles kind of fell down here mm-hmm. uh, with like how Dak is this kind of like special Horkbajir and yeah. it, that kind of minimizes or trivializes the point about having empathy for all the Horkbajir, especially how like that scene where like suddenly they love violence because it's their first taste of violence and how that's mm-hmm. kind of like a, re- that's a very hitting you over the head with it in a way that cheap and the Horkbajir are as characters moment. So I think it's the the fact that, like you said, the narrative doesn't offer, even if the characters, I think it's okay for the characters to say things that they would say that are offensive. But if the narrative doesn't do work to show that there's like a fuller picture, that's kind of where it falls down. And yeah. so I feel like the problem in 17 is it like really doubles down on the like understanding of mental illness is just people running around with a yerk in their head saying crazy stuff sometimes. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And that, that was, to me, that is much more of a failure than, like, Marco saying things are nuts all yeah. the time, right? Mm-hmm. I agree, yeah. There's an interesting balance. I feel strongly that when you're writing a story, you shouldn't primarily be doing it to, like, give a lesson. Like, if you're prioritizing the lesson, it's probably not going to be a good story. Yeah. But I also think you should... Like, because when you tell a story, like, it comes from, like, parts of your subconscious and experience and, like, all of this stuff that, like, you know, I've heard it described as sort of like brain soup and it, like, comes out of the brain soup. So, you know, you might not even recognize where all the pieces come from and it's going to come from things you feel strongly about and it's going to bring up, like, issues that, you know, have impacted you and all this stuff. And I think one thing you can do is work on improving your brain soup. And, like, you know, reading stuff from, like, diverse authors and also, like, working on improving your attitudes about such things. And I also think there is a step where you have to be, like, step back and be like, okay, is this falling? Because, of course, we do all have, like, all sorts of messed up stuff in our brains because we live in a messed up society and that's just how people work. Step back and be like, okay, is this falling into terrible tropes that's going that like are going to harm people? Is there a way to turn those around and actively like make it things that are going to better the lives and minds of the people reading it? Well, like, I mean, so that makes me think. So I feel like I've heard a lot more in recent years about the practice of hiring sensitivity readers mm-hmm. than I have before. Mm-hmm. So I think that that. Hard for your sensitivity readers. We need them. 
Well, no, but what I was going to say is, with, like, 17, I think that the test may be about whether you are judging the characters or the authors is, like, in the context of writing the Animorphs. If they had had the manuscript with enough time to get feedback and sent it off to someone who worked closely, more closely with people with mental illness than Mm -hmm. the authors might have experience with, and that person had come back and said, hey, here's some stereotypes that you aren't really challenging, would the authors have said, oh, thanks for that feedback, we'll make some adjustments, great. Or would they have been like, no, 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 what we're doing is trying to say something else, right? So I feel like maybe that's the, could like it's like, could they have benefited from that kind of broadening of their horizons? I think they could have benefited even from thinking of their audience as more diverse than these kids who have suffered some very specific things, but not the huge variety of human experience, like... It does seem like they were thinking a little bit about race. Like, we've talked a lot about how there's the colorblind approach, but like, they were like, yes, we want kids of all races to feel, see themselves reflected in this series. But they don't seem to have thought, oh, yes, and we want kids who have mental health problems or who have mental illness in their families. Mm -hmm. Like, that doesn't seem to have factored in. So I, I think actively getting someone to read it, but also even just thinking about how would someone feel about this if mm-hmm. they had had those experiences. But they just weren't quite thinking of patients in a mental institution as like the kind of people who might read or be related to people who would read their books. Yeah, I think that's right. And that's, you know, it's been several decades since then. That's probably something they've thought about in the intervening decades. And if they were writing these books today, would write it very differently. So one more big question before we get into specific topics. Okay, this is good. Um, We're moving right along. Definitely not a long episode. AJ writes in, the overall theme to the early books seemed to be hope, Mm. despite dreary circumstances and terrible odds. Do you agree? Do you think that still seems to be the the theme? If the theme has shifted, if so, how? Yeah, it really hasn't come up as much in the last couple books, huh? Maybe they realized they were ending like every single book with something about hope, and they decided to dial it down. Or, I don't know. That is interesting. I I don't feel like they've chosen against hope in recent books, but I'm trying to remember the last time it explicitly was brought up. 26 is an interesting case, the attack, where it ends with the Howlers being defeated through love. It's not the same as the hope thing. But then I don't know it if it's ends just... with Jake like not being able to sleep because he's thinking oh, about that right. one hour. You're right. right. And yeah, 22 also had the really dark ending where like they hear David screaming on the rock. I was trying to think if it changed after David. Yeah. If it's like, it's not like they've lost all hope, but there is the idea that we will have to lose some other things along the way. There's definitely, like, there's still a very positive spin on stuff. Like, 28 with the, like, free will. It still ended on this note of, like, yeah, this is something you can never take away. And um, there's still a lot of idealism, I guess. Yeah, I do I do agree that it certainly hasn't been as much of a theme. Yeah, it's not as prominent anymore. I'll have to watch that. Good question, AJ. All right. Now the time has come for a choose-your-own-adventure Oh, man. Approach. So, who's going to pick first? Gray's right. going to pick first. Because I pointed at her before she pointed at me. Uh, that's not best. <laughs> um, I think we should... Okay, we've talked about the big questions. Uh-huh. So, I think we should go silly. Let's talk Helen Cross. Yes, good choice. Excellent choice. All right. Is it, these are a collection of thoughts from our, the comments on episode 24, several by Avina Peaser. 
and and some thoughts from an Anon on, on Tumblr mixed in as well. Um, so we'll start with an open question. We've met a lot of aliens in the series. Why are the Helmicrons the only species besides humans to wear clothes? <laughs> Wait. Those little silver suits. Yeah. No, do we do, but... know they're removable? I don't know. Are you arguing <laughs> that the Helmicrons don't have clothes? Well, there was. The leader was wearing a cape, the like dead leader. So that was probably not organic. So probably the Helmicrons do have clothes. The Helmers wear clothes. Oh, they do have. They do, do have they? like tool belts. Don't they have a sash with their stuff in it? No, that's a Did good I point. The Helmers yeah, definitely yeah. have a little bandolier. That doesn't bandolier. seem like clothes, yeah. though. That seems like you know does, gear. Okay, the Elemist. Does the Elemist wear clothes? The Elemist just like <laughs> I don't think he wore clothes in Seven when he showed up as like Blue Bilbo. Now I'm just imagining the I, Elemist in like flasher gear, like a long trench coat. Oh no! I think the Elemist wore clothes when he was impersonating Beth, but that's just because Beth was wearing clothes. There's no way he was. He wasn't wearing clothes seven. when he appeared as a weird uh, bird. <laughs> that's true. He must have had clothes. He himself. must have had clothes. Doesn't don't they describe as like why did we all think he was a wizard if he wasn't wearing some kind of wizarding robe? He had long flowing hair or something. He did. Okay. Are you looking it up, Gray? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, if he was naked like Doctor Manhattan, that's so upsetting. Sort of a mystique look, just it blue. Say. His skin was glowing blue as if he were a light bulb that had been painted over, so the light still shone from him. He seemed like an old man, but with a force of energy, he was definitely not frail. His hair was long and white. His ears were swept up into points. His eyes were black holes that seemed to be full of stars. It doesn't say. Yeah, I think he was naked. No. <laughs> but just sort of like, I think his body was probably just humanoid and he didn't have genitalia. That's my guess. Because Rachel probably would have commented on it if he did. That's bananas. <laughs> why do none of these people wear clothes? Okay, well, why Else. why would they not wear clothes? And I guess the people of fur don't really need it. Elfingor seems confused about the idea of artificial skin. Yeah, it seems like most alien species don't. So they must, their climates on their planet must just be friendlier than our climate. Their bodies have adapted to them better. And then they just climate control when they go into space. I've had this question in the past about where the Andalites keep their faces. It is unclear. I think they all have bandoliers. That's possible. But, okay, so if it's not normal for aliens to wear clothes, why do the Helmicrons have clothes? Well, if we're saying we evolved in a place where we require... Yeah. Some sort of covering, then so yeah. did they, maybe, yeah. right? Their yeah. planet is inhospitable enough that spacesuits were important. If alien species go to a lot of other planets, the other planets aren't going to have climates that they're particularly adapted to. Are they just like always uncomfortable there? Okay, uh, so. Wait, no, no, wait. I, 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 I know why. Why? I know why the Helmicrons have clothes. Why? It is because the Helmicrons are a race that, as far as we know, are primarily run by women, and therefore <laughs> they gave everyone pockets. <laughs> they understand the need for pockets. This is the Andalite military is run by men, and they just don't understand pockets. They've got fancy bandoliers; <laughs> they don't need pockets. So, a, a non from Tumblr has a, a different theory about the Helmicrons, not really related to their their clothes, but Ugh, the most important. Apparently, issue, we mentioned okay. the Arn and the Helmicrons very close together, um, and and Anon suggests what if the Arn engineered the Helmicrons as um, bio microbots, a group mind designed to be controlled by one of the Arn, maybe an early huh. prototype of the tech they used to control the different Whoa. monsters in Father Deep. Um, but then hmm. the Helmicrons gave their own sentience. Wow. You know, I think the Arn were better at bioengineering than you would have to be to create a species as annoying and terrible as the Helmicrons. <laughs> 
Like, maybe that's why they made the Horkutir not as intelligent, because they're like, man, these Helmicrons were a huge problem. But I just, I think they're too cautious to have done something so rash and uh, terrible. Amazing. But I do kind of like the theory that they're like, okay, and they'll all be controlled by one of us, and then they escaped and are controlling themselves. But the Helmicrons still feel the need for some sort of, like, outside thing telling them what to do, and that's why they have these leaders who are dead. So do you think there's one Helicron hive mind or multiple? It's unclear. Are they supposed to be, like, one mind? Like, all of them are one mind? Or, like, is each ship? It would it would have to be ship-based. It couldn't be across ships because there was such rivalry. And I also thought of something, by the way, after we did that episode that made me want to push back on our they're a hive mind and therefore not individuals. Uh-huh. Which is we see that that's not true because within the ship... There is enough dissent That's true. that the sort of rebels get have to get put down, right? Yeah. So it can't be that they have no independent thought. Okay, maybe it's not that. What we learn is not that they're a hive mind, it's that they're fungible. So yes. their minds like get absorbed. Or it's like the howlers. Ah, yes. Where any one Species of their memories, memories can go to the other Yeah. Ones. But if it's just sort of a collective memory, then it's not the same as being fungible. So it is terrible when they kill a bunch of them. Yes. I mean, they're annoying because they're aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. And But I feel like they're annoying in the same way that the ants would be if they could talk. <laughs> yes. Like, very aggressive yeah. and territorial. And each Maybe they're hive... related to those ants from um, the time of the dinosaurs. Oh, the Nesk. There we go. Whoa. So the Nesk, some of them evolved strange. into Earth ants and some of them evolved into Helmicrons. Perfect. So Problem why solved. did the ants want clothing? They were in space. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want. To... It's because they really admired the morphing outfits that they saw on the Animorphs. Perfect. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's why. There it's we go. Because Rachel looks so good. Rachel looks so good in her leotard with the bare midriff. I, but then Rachel's responsible for the Helmicrons in some way, which is Rachel's terrible. only responsible for the clothing of the Helmicrons, mm. which really um, is the least of their crimes. All right. Other uh, Helmicron theories. So, what if the Helmicrons shrink ray? is just using the exact same Z-Space technology that Morphing does and is just switching out your body for a larger version of your body created from Z-Space. Or a smaller version of your body. Or a smaller version. That would make sense, given that it's powered by the Morphing Cube, which has some kind of connection to Z-Space, IRL. <laughs> All right, so plausible, plausible. Okay, and but what would be the implications of this? That Does that mean that there's a, there's a full-size Cassie hanging out in Z-Space when she's tiny, and then when she gets switched back... Does she get her old body back again? Yo. Because that's hmm. that's an interesting question. Especially because, like, if right. you're were zapping... Were they saying restore, or were they just doing the right. different, a new... If a you're new zapping thing. someone with the... It seems like they had to, like, hold down the button and make them big and then stop at the right time. Were we just guessing that, or is that what they said? Yeah, yeah. it did seem like they were... They were, like, holding down a button and waiting until they got yeah. to the right size. Well, that's how Jake got taller. exactly but if that's the case if you just start pressing the button the technology doesn't know if it should just restore your normal body or if it should give you a medium-sized body like somewhere in between from you know it can't if it's a progressive thing it can't just be giving you your body back this only makes sense if z-space actually is bags of mass in like goo form i'm not sure it makes sense even then well, no, it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's not. But then, is it also does it work in the same principle that you have like Cassie's brain remotely controlling Cassie's her tiny body? body? Right, like, that would be weird. And well, then, how does it work with like not flit? Yeah, like, I was gonna you, say that's if also you're small for too long. Do you get stuck that way? 
Well, that is an interesting question that would create potential for better morphing technology, because if their ray does work on the same fundamental principles, and, and they're able to retrieve bodies, ray. if they're able to retrieve bodies from Z space way after two hours, then the Andalites just need to try harder and build some better tech. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, maybe it would have to be a ray. They're better technology than anyone we've met so far. <laughs> That's <laughs> so, so obnoxious. Annoying. Okay. Axe must have really hated them. That would have been a fun Axe book, too. One other Helmicron mm. thought from Avina Pizer, which is we we talked a little bit about Helmicron gender, and Avina Pizer points out uh, in our discussion on Helmicrons and gender, we left out that they gender both Marco and Cassie as male oh, because they're slaves. Uh-huh. So evidently, they capture people uh, and expect them to be in a subservient role with its associated pronoun. And so their theory is that from you know male and female are just approximate translations and they also suggest that if you brought this up to Axe, Axe might haughtily state that not all thought speech is interchangeable, and Helmicrons <laughs> use less universal symbols than Andalites. Mm. <laughs> Just galactic symbols, not universal. Okay, but it seemed like all of the Helmicrons were Helmicrons. Like they hadn't, they didn't have a lot of tiny versions of other species on their spaceship, though that would have been cool. Uh, like it seems like I the really like the that male now. that they interact with, Wuss, is Wuss. like is a Helmicron. <gasps> what if you spend time with the Helmicrons and you, you slowly become, become a Helmicron? Whoa, a new meaning yeah, of fungible. I can't wait until we is... get the Helmicronicles. <laughs> <laughs> Have we not made that joke yet? Wow, I can't believe it took us this long. Cha-ching! <laughs> <laughs> no, but possibly it's like the Helmicrons have conquered other, like there's intra-Helmicron warfare where they've conquered other like cities of Helmicrons or whatever and turned them into slaves. Yeah. Anything else to say about Helmicrons? Or is it time for Jenny to pick the next oh, man. topic of discussion? I'm going to go with character thoughts. All right, let's talk about some character thoughts. Um, okay. Do we want to start with Rachel? Cassie and Marco or David? Ooh. Start with Cassie and Marco. Great. So after episode 24, when Cassie and Marco spent a bunch of time together, Josama commented on our website that Kay Applegate said that she's most similar to Cassie mm. and that her favorite character mm-hmm. is Marco because he's based on Michael Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, and fellow Animorphs podcast, The Morph Club, hypothesized that the reason Cassie and Marco were shrunk was because Kay Applegate was at her limit and wrote the <laughs> characters that were easiest for her to write, the ones that were most similar to her and her husband. And I wonder about this in terms of the how we read into the like slight Cassie-Marco-ship <laughs> that is happening for episodes, uh-huh. that like maybe it's almost... There's something psychological going on there where the authors like <laughs> kind of are rooting for these characters. But, to yeah, they didn't mean to have there be anything there. The essential there, Applegate but... and the essential Michael Grant. Because I do feel like there's an easier explanation for 24, which is they wanted to write this story. It was Cassie's turn to have a book, and Marco is the obvious person to include because how do you leave out his jokes? Yeah, like you have scene. to I include mean, Marco. The groveling scene would not be as funny with any other characters. No, involved. no. Cassie and Marco the are situation the was made. Yeah, and you have the like extreme like you know comic and straight woman team. Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. But this this idea that like they're based on her and her husband is that why we're seeing some connections there? That's intriguing. It is interesting to just think about Cassie and Marco being married in real life and writing a series (laughs) of middle grade uh, fiction. I assume they're not quite the characters. Also, what does that say about Jake? Like, did they both have something to say about their ideal person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're they're looking for a third. It's an OG3. (laughs) (laughs) Jake is everything they each wish the other one was. (laughs) 
That is so oh, funny. No. Oh my god. Okay, this is now going on my list of anamorphology crack fic is the one where Cassie and Marco are married, maybe also married to Jake, and are writing a middle grade series. I love it. I think it's a great so idea. I can't actually see, much as I love the moments of connection between Marco and Cassie, I can't actually see them being in a relationship and not driving each other absolutely crazy. I assume Kay, Applegate, and Michael Grant are a little bit different than their characters. They're also significantly older, so that would help. But uh, I, I also want this crack fic, yes. <laughs> also, if you were imagining your ideal person, could you come up with someone more boring than Jake? <laughs> well, maybe that's why they came up with him, because they're like, it would be awkward if we imagined an ideal person that we would actually be into more than each other. So let's just come up with a super bland character. All right. So another thought about Cassie and Marco. This is from KS on our website. I kind of love all the moments of Marco implying some romantic feelings for Jake because it makes me think of all the ways he and Cassie are alike. Mm. They are so different in terms of personality, but in a lot of ways they think similarly. Someone pointed out to me recently that if something happened to Marco, it would have to be Cassie that took on his strategist role. And it would destroy her to do it, but she could. Yeah. I read that comment when it was posted. I was like, oh. We talked about it a little bit with the solution that mm-hmm. she's the one who comes up with yeah. the um, with that plot because she, like Marco, really understands people and their motivations. So that makes sense to me. And she does have that logistical brain, like, a little bit. But yeah. also, she's the reason why they can't just kill him. Yeah. Because then she would be able to go on. Right. Yeah. But as strategist, would she really change that? Because, like... What does Marco do that she would have to take over? Like, he looks for potential danger. He looks for, like, okay, this is stupid. We shouldn't do this. And I feel like that's not the part that would destroy her. Like, the part that would destroy her is the part she already has to do (laughs) because he's not good at it. The, like, how do we manipulate this person? Yeah, that's interesting. I do think it would work better if Marco were a little more that trope of the lieutenant. So if he Mm -hmm. were a little more Mm -hmm. of the, like, Jake says we have to attack, you know, the the animal oh, farm. Yeah. Here's how we Here's do how it. Here's how we do it. Yeah. She could do that as well, but that's not really yeah. his role. She does have a lot of moments of, like, she comes up with the brilliant tactical plan. It's not as noticeable about her, and it's not, like, as attached to, like, the core of her personality as we tend to think about it. But, like, she's someone, like, she comes up with the squid ink thing. Like, mm-hmm. not just for animal-related things, but in general is often someone who's like, wait, here's a brilliant thing. Yeah. And then sometimes she can't read military time. But, you know, other times <laughs> she's very competent at these things. And I feel like she could do most of that. I do wonder if something were to happen to Marco, like, what kind of hole that would create and how it would be filled. Like, it would be a problem for the writers writing the books because they need to, like, have the humor. But what kind of hole would it create in the the band of sex? I think it's more because Marco has that role of, like, but don't you see what the consequences will be? Like, he Mm, gets to mm -hmm. that solution. So I don't think Cassie would get there as quickly, but she'd be forced into the position of being, like... No, you're not thinking like because she'd want to protect her loved ones, and yeah, enough. And I think that that would be very, very hard. Though everyone would listen to her, Mm -hmm. and Mm. she's also not someone who shrinks from the potential negative consequences of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how much of a difference it would make for her to then have to. Because it's not like she is sticking to her moral stuff and she can get away with it because Marco's there to provide the dose of reality. Like, she recognizes how much sometimes sticking to, like, backing off from stuff because of her moral qualms causes actual bad stuff to happen. Yeah. So, Avian Appeaser replied to KS's comment and also added some more thoughts about Cassie. So, they point out Cassie has the best, best known, we don't know much about Axis deal, 
Uh, the best family situation of any of the Animorphs. Two parents who love mm-hmm. her and each other, no obvious threat in the form of a controller in the house, no siblings to worry about, and maybe that gives her the security to step back and consider the ethics of a situation. I thought that was a really interesting perspective. That is. Where maybe that early Cassie that's like afraid of putting herself out there comes from. Well, it's also, that's something she and Jake had in common at the beginning. Before the series started, they both came from these very stable, loving families. Cassie still has that. Jake now has this constant source of tension and horror in his house. And then you can also contrast Cassie and Tobias like that. They are similar in a lot of ways in terms of like their thoughtful perspective in the world. They both have strongly held moral beliefs. But Tobias has never had this kind of secure family situation. And how does that shape the way he thinks about things? It is so interesting that like then Cassie talks about how she never felt hatred before book Mm, four mm -hmm. in that moment. Mm -hmm. Whereas like you have the circumstances of what happened to Jake and Tobias and Marco in the first five books Mm -hmm. or so. And Marco even like two years before with his mom Mm -hmm. and everything, right? Like Mm -hmm. they've had to deal with these really tough emotions a lot more readily. I guess it's interesting to think that she actually... She, she doesn't start out with the same perspective that the other characters mm-hmm. have. And like, I, I tend to think of her as someone who's very wise, right. but she's actually pretty naive. And like, she grapples with the naivete And that's why we see in like book nine, she starts to grapple with that. Right. That might be part of why she like, has more of a journey than some of the others. But I don't think she, she ever thinks like, it must be so hard on Jake eating dinner with Tom every night. You know, like she, she's like, oh, it must be hard being the leader of the Animorphs or whatever. Huh. But, yeah. I don't know if we've thought, heard her think about it in that context or even i mean none of the animorphs think wow tobias must be really struggling every day they're just like (laughs) tobias seems to get along being a bird just fine now you know (laughs) i mean part of it's the focus of the books like (laughs) if it's not a tobias book it's not gonna be about like that or if it's not a jake book it's not gonna be about tom i mean they think about it a little bit right yeah with tobias but the other characters are secondary yeah we haven't had a book about the family members in a while so that's gonna be my next prediction Okay. Just saying it out loud to remind myself that the next prediction is whoever the character main character is, his or her family member comes back. The next book is a Marco book. Marco's mom comes back. All right. Done. Okay, so some thoughts about Rachel. These are both from Avian and Peaser. Uh, so Rachel gets really, really angry about the drunk frat boys in mm-hmm. 28, even saying, Axe should cut their heads off. There'll be no Whoa. loss besides their driving, uh, which is harsh even for her. Any thoughts about that? I do remember thinking it was... I think my note on that section was, whoa, Rachel. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that one of her main uh, concerns is drinking under the inf- or driving under the influence. Mm. But uh, I don't have strong thoughts about Well, even if you pointed out, we don't know what happened with Sadler. It sounds like Sadler was being reckless, but it could maybe there was also drunk driving involved mm. in that accident. And the other thing is maybe frat boys have creeped on her in the past. Frat boys yeah. have definitely creeped on her in the past. Yeah. She turned into an elephant to get one, rid of one. Yes. Right. Yeah. In her, in her first book. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if that was a frat boy, but like that's the same, yeah, kind of thing. Even if Peter also points out that Rachel might be the best read of the core four. Mm-hmm. She has that Tolkien reference early on. Mm-hmm. Um, she has quotes from the Art of War on her. Yeah, wall. we know that Marco has not um, read Lord of the Rings. She knows about. Oh, we did Jules, write a paper on it. The Jules Verne book. Uh huh. Um, and so. You know, she also seems to have really good grades, and mm-hmm. even if Pisa proposes the yep. theory that maybe she and Tobias saw each other in the school library <laughs> at some point before the series started. Canon accepted. Nice. I'm now, it's now just a, like, Hermione Victor Crumb situation in my head. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Were they swapped? Like, <laughs> swapped. Um, yeah. Wait, no. what? <laughs> that's, that's so unintuitive to me. Oh, no, sorry. 
where they they like ended up going to the Yule Ball together because mm-hmm. he saw her in the library all the time. Like that that was just the connection in my head. Oh, oh, um, oh. so right, not in terms of personality. Just no, in terms no, of no. I get it. I get it. Just he kept seeing her in the library, and he finally got up the nerve to ask her out. And so I bet Tobias, you know, started going to the school library because like he didn't want to go home because that sucked. And then he kept going because there was this really awesome girl there. And while he was there, he read books about hawks. <laughs> what if she keeps seeing that he's checked out all the books that she's checking out? Like, who is this? You know, Amazing. T dot, you know, redacted. T dot T. His last name is Fangor, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that doesn't Fangor. make sense. <laughs> I hope that the Eleanor's preserved that ridiculous name. <laughs> no, Lauren married some human who uh, probably had a different last name, presumably. I don't know. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, his true, his true name is Tobias Fangor. He needs a middle name so that it can, you know, fit the Andalite pattern. No, his real name is something else that sounds like a similar name. Fantool? Alfangor has a name. Doesn't has a last name. Oh, yes. Yeah, but it doesn't seem to be inherited in a way. Oh, because it's not the same as Axe's last name? Right. Both Axe and Alfangor each have one of their parents' names as part of their name, and I forget exactly how it goes. Huh. Wait, so is Tobias's last name Lauren? <laughs> or Elfangor. Tobias Elfangor, Lauren Fangor. No Accepted. wonder this kid got picked on. Poor Tobias. Speaking of bullies, I wanted to share this comment that Kate left on episode 21 mm-hmm. um, in response to one of our conversations about David. Firstly, he's a representation of the evils in humans that the Animorphs have uh, yet to had to face. Previously, it's been all about how evil the Yurks are, how different the Andalites are, etc. But now we're finally seeing the realistic part about humans, how they aren't all altruistic and good, how the Animorphs are clearly exceptional, how humans can make bad decisions and evil decisions and selfish decisions. It's refreshing. Secondly, David is not a cartoon villain. If you've ever hung out with that kid who makes a racist or anti-Semitic or homophobic comment and waits to see if you either laugh or agree, or ever heard a family member make an argument that some minorities get handouts, or straight pride should be a thing, or that we should be taking care of our own people before we let immigrants in, you've met David. Mm. As a queer woman, I meet a lot of Davids. They're in YouTube comments, yelling at you on the mic on online games, harassing and doxing women and tweeting inflammatory tweets just for the lulls. They're angry because things aren't working out and they need someone to blame. The timeline that the authors needed uh, to fit in is unrealistic and makes him seem ridiculous. Three books is a very fast turnaround. But make no mistake, uh, David is around us all the time. We're just very lucky that these people don't have the power to wield like he does and nothing left to lose. That's Uh, true. And it does happen fast, but also they're in a lot of extreme situations where, like, they're asking him to put his life in danger. And you can see why it would escalate quickly. And I really appreciated this comment at the time. And it really helped clarify something that I was trying to communicate, which is that it's great that in the end, the scheme that they cook up brings him down through his toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. which is like this, you know, there are Davids everywhere type thing. And it's not just that he's like a like Joker-like madman or something. It's just yeah. like it's kind of a really boring thing. You can appeal to his ego and that takes him down. Yeah, yeah. it's all his and vices like, that right. bring him down. Yeah, right. Society encourages men to be like David. And mm-hmm. so it's nice to have him be defeated for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And perfect that it was a Rachel book. I mean, it's a great Rachel book for so many reasons, but that's just another great book. So uh, that brings us to the end of Character Thoughts. Mm -hmm. And um, we here at Anamorphology have to take a break, but we will be back after these messages. This podcast is once again sponsored by Doodad Cat Food Corporation. They've seen the light and come back. Get all your cat food from them until they change their minds and pull their funding again. 
Do you feel like your data is too secure? Are you worried that if animal morphing vigilantes needed to access it, they wouldn't know where to find it? You should get a Web Access America Visa card. Cash back for any purchases made to dress your friendly local android. <laughs> hey everybody, Guide here from Escort. You got some memories you want to look at? I got the memories for you. We got Howlers. We got Cheap. We got Humans. We got Lyrics. We got Helmacross. We got Andalites. We got Yurks. We got a bunch of creatures you ain't never even heard of. Come on down to Guide's place and I'll show you what a real memory can be. And we're back, and it's time for Gray to pick our next topic of discussion. We just did character thoughts, so let's do issue thoughts. Ooh, issue thoughts. So, people who wrote in are so insightful about things. I love them. This is, such great commenters. Yeah, the commenters on our website are commenters? amazing. Yes. I don't know. There are, there are like a bunch of really good thoughts in here. I might just read them and see if you have responses. So... Here's uh, some thoughts about the issue of hunger and morphing from Avian Appeaser that are uh, more on the on Jenny's side of how these things work than on my side. But I think, it's, yeah. I think it's, it's a good perspective. These kids did need to eat. Hunger seems to be its own video game style depleting status bar for them. Uh, if morphing <laughs> did a true and total reset such that they didn't need food, why would they even feel like they were starving? Why would eating make them feel better and then they don't feel hungry later? I think you got to figure that when you morph, whatever stage of digestion you're in is maintained and stocked with a nondescript version of what the heck ever your current system is equipped to handle. Uh, it's fanon sometimes that part of Axe's manic attitude towards food and human morph is due to the grass and worms of Earth not filling him up as much as the grasses from his homeworld, maybe lacking some nutrients. Boy is always craving and fills that need with cinnamon buns. Oh, I think I brought that up recently and mm-hmm. forgot that was where I got it. Oops. Sorry, I've been This also means that, yes, Tobias could have done something about being starving in 23 by morphing human for a little while. You know something else in that book he was angsting over and could have solved by morphing human for a little while, but refused to do for no reason? <laughs> Sitting with Rachel and enjoying affectionate human contact. <laughs> I love this kid, but he's wallowing in that book. <laughs> this is such a good point. Well, sometimes it's really hard to reach out and ask for the things that you need, because if he morphs human and, like, eats with Rachel and stuff, then he'll feel like he's being weak. Okay, two things about that. <laughs> One is, she would love that. She that is true. Yep. And two, that has nothing to do with get your head out of your ass and work into human if you really <laughs> want to hold her hand. Don't give me this nonsense. Also, as an adult, I have trouble with the basic adulting of taking a five-minute walk to purchase something for myself that I can cook <laughs> for myself to have a well-balanced meal. So, I do kind of understand. Yeah, Even if it's easy. Yeah. You know, the meadow's right there. And this is a good lesson for all of us. You're like, Rachel would have loved it. And yeah, sometimes when you ask for help from the people close to you, they are thrilled to do what they can to help you. Mm -hmm. And it does not result in any of the bad things that your jerk brain tells you it will. It's true. Don't listen to your jerk brain. People generally want to help, but they don't know they can until you ask for help. And Tobias has like a human brain and a hawk brain. He has double jerk brain. Uh, Poor Tobias. It's rough. All right. Here's some thoughts from KS about why Jake is haunted by that howler. I always assumed that the reason why the Howlers haunt Jake so much is very specifically the bit about them being children. The hork aren't. Even among the free hork the Animorphs don't seem to conceptualize Toby as a child. It's as if her intelligence makes them forget that she's less than a year old, uh, but the Howlers are grown in a factory, have a lifespan of three years, and don't exist to be anything other than what Cryak made them to be. They're more like the Arn's monsters than the hork I don't know, the motif of child soldiers is so persistent in the story that it made sense to me. 
Also, I wonder how much of why they don't grapple with all the Hork-Bajir they've killed and all is uh, sort of them being in denial. Like in 19, we saw Cassie brushing her teeth until her gums were bleeding because she was having a crisis over the Hork-Bajir whose throat she ripped out. If they didn't compartmentalize, they would find it impossible to fight the war. Fair. I also feel like the end of, of the attack when he's thinking about the Howler, like that is the most recent terrible thing that he's had to do. And he also, it was particularly terrible because he had to spend all this time with the person he was in the process of killing. And he was like, well, this consequence is still coming for you and I'm still stuck right next to you and I just get to watch this happen. But yeah, I do like the larger point of like the child soldier motif and maybe mm-hmm. that's why. But I don't know that, I mean, I guess we haven't seen a Jake book since then, so we don't know if it's sticking with him after that. Mm-hmm. A comment from Avian Apeezer about free will. In the context of Yurk efforts here, I'm inclined to believe that free will is just like having higher brain functions and resisting or distracting the Yurk. And in that case, it's definitely not possible to remove those and retain a viable host. In 18, when Chapman hit a Secret Service guy with his minivan, uh, he was in a coma, which you think would make him a fantastic unresisting host, but apparently he can't be infested when he's unresponsive. Yurks need those prefrontal cortexes intact. I suspect one in a lobotomized host would be unable to entirely get around the effects of the lobotomy. That is true in that we've seen a lot of examples of like, oh, this animal isn't complex enough mentally to support a yurk, and this animal is just complex enough, and clearly that is somehow required. And the idea that you could keep that complexity of thought while losing the free will part, you know, Cassie's right, it doesn't really make any sense. It does explain why they don't just go into a hospital... Get all the coma patients. Get all the coma yeah. patients out. How old do you think someone has to be to be infested by a yerk? Could they infest babies? I guess they would have to have controller parents if they wanted to get to the yerk pool. And like, why would you yeah. want to be in a baby? Can we just have a moment to think about the children who are unwilling controllers? Yeah. Who are being forced to the yerk pool and then locked in a cage and then The five-year-old in 29 who, like, starts yeah. kicking his heels against the pier. I mean, those... That's really bad. The entire world is going to be full of traumatized people for mm-hmm. one reason or another by the time this is all over. Yeah. Like, if your brain hasn't so many therapists needed. developing and you lose control <gasps> over your body... Oh, no. That, that would be pretty... Oh, that's the worst theory. I right. hate it. Yeah, because if you're, like, an adult or whatever, it's horrible, but at least, you know, all your basic structures are intact, and you can still have damage done to you, but you're not missing crucial right. developmental years. Wow. I'm just saying, when the Elemist hits the big reset button at the end of these books, he better hit it for everybody, not just the Animorphs. All right. I like this theory. I yeah. continue to Let's say that's so far. <laughs> it's not. I know it's not. You I don't know that. I dream. And it was all a dream. It was all a dream. <laughs> okay, if it's all a dream, whose dream is it? I think it's Tobias's dream. Of the Animorphs. It's one oh. of the Animorphs' dreams. Then, yeah, Tobias. Okay. I just love the idea that it's like, oh, I woke up at the mall. I'd just been falling asleep or whatever. Oh, look, there's Rachel. There's Marco. Hey, guys, let's go to the construction site. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that's the last line of the book. Just dun, dun, dun. <laughs> So, Ibizar also responded to our discussion about vegetarianism. It's really weird that the Marco in this book has already lived through book 25, where he mostly nicely imagines that Cassie will protest seal-eating in the Arctic, and she snaps and goes, do you guys think I'd put an animal's life over yours? Uh, <laughs> we also know Cassie's policy on meat from that book. If you're going to raise animals for food, treat them as well as you possibly can. Which is about where I am, honestly. I follow a lot of heritage farmers, people raising old breeds that aren't so intensely destructively bred for production and let healthier lives, plus taste better. One thing a lot of them have in common is the belief that it's not ba- a bad thing to kill an animal which has had a good life with as little pain and fear as possible. There doesn't have to be a binary of torturously slaughtering miserable animals versus never eating them. 
These cows are definitely not being treated as well as they possibly can. By this point in time, Temple Grandin, a major proponent for humane treatment of meat animals, was established in designing slaughterhouses that don't panic livestock. But this slaughterhouse is run by Yerks who don't care. You've got the smell, you've got carcasses swinging overhead, you've got sight lines that invoke dread and a lot of alarming sounds. I'm going to quote Grandin. Most people don't realize that the slaughter plant is much gentler than nature. Animals in the wild die from starvation, predators, or exposure. If I had a choice, I would rather go through a slaughter system than have my guts ripped out by coyotes or lions while I was still conscious. Unfortunately, most people never observe the natural cycle of birth and death. They do not realize that for one living thing to survive, another living thing must die. It is not possible to live in this world without hurting something. All food comes to us with suffering attached somewhere. Yes, vegetables too, considering the conditions forced on so many of the people who tend and harvest them. We all negotiate our own ways through this, if we have the wherewithal to consider it, the chance to choose, and the money to choose it with. Even if he's also points out. In book 14, Cassie gets turkey out of her parents' fridge. <laughs> so given her comments, maybe it's like a local non-factory farmed bird, and she doesn't eat meat when she doesn't know how it lived, but maybe she's also become a vegetarian in the past 15 books. Maybe. That's a really a really nice summary of a bunch of different points about it. It's still very complicated. Mm-hmm. But it is nice to have the textual evidence, because we're like, is Cassie a vegetarian? Is she, who knows? And... It's weird that she never says she is, and maybe she just isn't, but maybe she does prioritize like eating meat that came yeah. from... I, yeah, sources. I really appreciate the false binary being called out, because I yeah. think, that, I yeah, think yeah. we probably got stuck into that mode of conversation a little bit. And the book doesn't offer... I think we maybe cleared the level at which the book is talking about. <laughs> right. Although I have to say, if I had to choose between going through a slaughterhouse and being killed in nature, there's the part of me that's like, no, I want to be free, gosh darn it. That's like, no, I want to be killed by the coyotes in nature. Yeah, <laughs> and the fact that the slaughterhouses only exist because we're eating meat, right? It's not, I appreciate the nuance to that binary, and I think that Avian Appeaser is totally right, and I, I agree. But there's a sense to which the terrible conditions in slaughterhouses persist because of the number of people who want to eat meat. Mm-hmm. So if we all lived near farms and could afford to eat heritage breeds that were treated really well, that would be one thing, but that's really not possible in our current structure. So it's more of a societal issue than it is an individual choice in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. We we live in a world where heritage farms have very much, are not sustainable for most people. They don't make enough money. Right. Them, right. But I think it's more, it's like you go in with the assumption that there have to be trade-offs and then it's like, which ones are you making? Why do you prioritize the things that you prioritize? Yeah. Right. It's a good point. It's time for us to choose our next topic. <gasps> it's my turn. Jenny. Animorphs comparisons. Yay. I resisted right. frogs. I was like, this is going to be a good one and I want to hold off, yeah. but it's time. Get ready. Okay. Okay. Let's start here. If the Animorphs could each morph a Pokemon, which ones would they pick? <laughs> This question comes from you the law on Tumblr. I knew this was coming, and I didn't do any research into Pokemon because I knew that there were other people here who would do a better job Don't worry. of addressing it. I have the list of all Pokemon here, which Amazing. we can scroll through okay. and pick based on very little other than what the Pokemon look like. Oh my like. god, there are 829 species of Pokemon. <laughs> I have here the Bulbapedia list of Pokemon by National Pokedex number, and let's just kind of scroll through... And okay. Riff, we're looking for a team of six Pokemon that represent the six Animorphs. What is the most dangerous Pokemon? Well, we're starting out early on in Generation 1 here. Charizard, big fire-breathing dragon, feels very Rachel. Okay, great. How Rachel is Charizard. We've got here, you know, some bug Pokemon. You know, Cassie's definitely been a Metapod <laughs> at one point or another. Here's birds. Oh, I mean, Tobias has to be a bird. Tobias has to be some kind of bird. But is he like a generic bird, like a Pidgey? Or is he like a cool, epic bird? 
Oh, he's a cool epic bird. Come okay, on. So we'll hold out for a cool epic bird. Okay. There must be like a, you know, a weird alien with a blade at some point for Axe, <laughs> right? Axe doesn't really, he's just, he's just going to morph a Pokemon that's like an Andalite to begin with. Mm-hmm. Here are some snakes. Maybe David is an Ekans. Oh, I was um, going to say Marco could be a snake. Nothing wrong with snakes. Pikachu? Are any of the Animorphs Pikachu? I don't think no. so. Pikachu is the most generic Pokemon, or like the most well-known one, so maybe Jake. No, uh, <laughs> if it's anybody, it's Cass. <laughs> Ooh, t- say more. Well, because Pikachu is famously adorable mm-hmm. and very loving uh-huh. and good at zapping people when necessary. Ah. Uh, so maybe, maybe, okay. but I, I'm not... Cassie is the Pikachu... That's definitely us, like, really making Cassie do our Mary Sue, yes. I think. I'm holding off on that because I think there are better okay. ones. Um, fairy Pokemon is Ooh. interesting. Vulpix. I want Cassie to be, like, a Vulpix or a Ninetales, actually. Ooh, okay. A, a little Firefox. Like. Yeah. Yeah. Those are cute. Jigglypuff, yeah. singing people to sleep. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> None of them are, like, that cute and cuddly. They're all warriors. Togepi is cute and cuddly. Oh, yeah. Is Marco a primate? <laughs> Maybe. That's like the closest thing. And then like, is Jake an Arcanine? Like, are they just their battle morphs in Pokemon form? (laughs) Could Axe be a psychic Pokemon? Because he has the thought speech. Oh, yeah. Such as a Kadabra. Uh, Grimer, a pile of sludge. That's that's like... (laughs) It's a yurt. Esplan. Yeah. Um, um, Tobias is Cubone. Because of the tra- inherently tragic backstory. Yes, because of the inherently oh, tragic backstory. Would you like to share the backstory of Cubo canonically? Um, I only know bits and pieces, so if you know the whole thing. You well, it's like a two—it's a two-sentence phrase or whatever. But if you you can look up details about each Pokemon and Cubones, is that Cubone goes into battle wearing and wielding the bones of its mother. Oh yes, and it's a lonely. Although Pokemon. maybe that should be Marco. No, it should be it should be Tobias. Oh, Licky Tongue is Axe. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Obviously. Taste-based Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, Rhyhorn and Rhydon are the Rhino ones, so that, that's oh, like that a Jake one. Jake, yeah. No, one of them has to be a Zigzagoon. It's like <laughs> a cute little ferret. Can Cassie be a Zigzagoon? We should summarize this for our listeners. And also, dear listeners, I still play Pokemon Go, and I need new friends because that is one of my research things that gets me whatevers. So I'm going to read you off my name and you guys should all friend me Yay. on Pokemon Go. I am Lady Vercosigan and my trainer code is 27614260790. Thank you. All right. All right. I New will friends for Gray. Regretfully close this tab. Fascinating <laughs> how many Pokemon there are and how stupid the names are. <laughs> all right. Does um, one of you want to summarize what we've chosen for each animal? Great, please. Okay. So we have chosen for Jake Rhyhorn, or Rhydon, which is the big rhinoceros mm-hmm. one. For Rachel, Charizard, the fire dragon. Tobias is Cubone, simply because of tragic backstory. Cassie is Rapidash, which is sort of a fire horse thing. Marco is Primeape, which is a big monkey ape Pokemon. And Axe is Licky Tongue, the food-driven Pokemon. <laughs> if people have Perfect. thoughts, especially if it's beyond the uh, original 150, please chime in in the comments. We can't promise we will understand. <laughs> I will definitely look up the Pokemon if someone has very strong opinions about this. I um, hope someone does. That would be great. So, uh, thanks you really a lot. Now, Apples of the Moon writes in, how about which Animorph is which Kardashian? JK, please don't discuss that. <laughs> However, <laughs> Thank God. Challenge accepted. I am going to disappoint you because I have a BuzzFeed quiz here. <laughs> which Kardashian are you? I So, I don't know 
even which Kardashians we're choosing from. I think there are five sisters who all of his names all start with K, and then you have the parents, and you have a brother, and you have other stuff. But I think we need to pick an animorph and take the which Kardashian are you quiz on their behalf. Okay, I think that Marco would be most into this and also offended by whatever we choose, and I think we should do it for Marco. Okay, so... Marco secretly thinks he's all the Kardashians, and also that all the Kardashians would want to date him, and he is wrong. Well, right, I think he would have a lot of Kardashians. He would would keep up with the Kardashians if the Animorphs were happening now. Definitely. Uh, Or in 2008 or whatever the show is doing. I don't know. So, question number one for Marco. How do you feel about other people's success? Oh, he hates it. Great. No one else can be successful. That is my thing. That's fine, whatever. It makes me a little sad because I worry I'll never be successful. Who cares? They'll never be as successful as me. Or good for them. What can I get out of it? Who cares? I think that who cares? They'll never be as successful as me. Done. How do you react to failure? What is failure again? It happens sometimes. You just have to stay motivated. Failure isn't an option. I cry. (laughs) Failure makes you stronger. Whatever. It happens. Oh... Whatever I don't know. Yeah, he, he definitely experiences failure a lot and doesn't love it. Yeah. But he also doesn't have, like, a super positive attitude about it. So maybe it happens sometimes, you just have to stay motivated, or oh, whatever no. it happens? Whatever it happens, maybe. What is we your might favorite... be making him more confident than he is mm. via these answers. What is your favorite color? There are six options of black, spelled with two Ks. One Number one through six. Just... <laughs> six. Great. It should be five. Five. <laughs> okay, how do you deal with a serious problem? Deal with it head on. Joke about it. Uh, Need I read more? No. no, just choose joke about it. How do you feel about Scott? <laughs> Who's Scott? I've, I've warmed up to him. He can be a lot, but he's fun. Love him. I'll always hate him. He's the Lord. He's the best. Or I hate him. I'm going to look up Scott Kardashian <laughs> and see who this is. Okay, Courtney... Dated Scott until 2015. So how does how do you feel about David? Um, I'll always hate him. Yes. Or yeah. I hate him. I'll always hate him. Okay. Uh, how would your friends describe you? A bit of a bore. Huh. Sassy. The life of the party. Driven. A goof. Kind of an ass. Oh, there's so many good options. Is he a goof? I feel like he's more kind of an ass. I think he's kind, I think of, he's an kind of an ass. Yeah. Is Marco's favorite city London, Miami, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, New York, Rome, or Paris? I think Los Angeles. Yeah, I buy that. definitely. How do you feel about love? Love is a partnership. Love is everything. It hasn't always been easy for me, but I believe in it. It can be hard, but when you find the right one, you'll know. You have to work at what you love. I run my relationship. Ooh. None of these are just a joke blowing it off. <laughs> I think he thinks it's the last one, but it's not. No, it's definitely not the last one. I think it's it hasn't always been easy for me, but I believe in it. Yes. <laughs> I don't think he would ever down, say that, down, but that that's is what, what he, he thinks. That's what he thinks. Yes. Ooh, what is your sense of humor like? <laughs> well, I think I'm funny. Everything can be funny. I'm really funny, but some people think I'm kind of a wet blanket. I'm the funniest. Eh, I can be kind of monotone. Or, you know, I like funny things. So is it I'm the funniest or everything can be funny? I'm the funniest. I think it's everything can be funny. Everything can be funny. You're right. What do you think? Both are good. I'm going with everything can be funny. Great. What is the worst thing people say about you? You're dumb. You're fat. You're boring. You're crazy. You're horrible. Or no one really says anything about you. (laughs) It's definitely not the last one. (laughs) You're horrible? Probably that he's horrible. Horrible. Yeah. In an argument, you tend to cry, overreact, fight back, stare blankly, start yelling and get defensive, or stay silent. 
Start yelling and get defensive? Yeah. Overreact. Overreact. Fight back? He definitely fights back. I feel like yelling and defensive is not super his style. Let's say He's fight more back. on fight the back. attack. Fight. Yeah. What would you buy with your first million? I'm so glad you picked Marco. This is ideal. <laughs> Private jet, shoes, cars, a mansion, the family, or I'd save it. I think the mansion. What did you say? He does talk about getting Lamborghinis. Oh, maybe cars. I think cars. I think okay. All right. All right. Marco is Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) (laughs) I've only just learned who that is, and yet it's so perfect. I love that we picked the outfit that you hate. Always hate him. Maybe Scott just hates himself. (laughs) Oh, all right. Well. Um, apples of the moon. Wait, what is we don't mean? know much else about which Kardashian is which Animorph, but Marco is Scott. What is the description of Scott? Oh, okay. Surprise, you're not a Kardashian, you're better. You're Lord Disick. Is he actually a lord? Probably not. That's okay. probably what he refers to himself as, mm. which does sound very Marco. Mm. Okay, so I don't think we need to do that for all the animals. No, no. no. But we'll, but post, that was we'll great. post a link to the quiz and you, the rest of you can complete it. Um, so... Uh, KS wrote in with some responses to our Marvel discussion and ah. has very strong opinions about uh, Jake being Cyclops, not Captain America, um, if we're involving the X-Men and the, the Marvelverse. They also say that Rachel is Emma Frost. I think that's accurate, but was outside the scope of the Marvelverse we were talking about. Yes. Because we were talking yes. more about the movies, and as you know, uh, they haven't really brought the, uh, the X-Men universe and the rest of the Marvel universe together, mm-hmm. unlike the comic books. But I think once we bring in the X-Men... 100% Jake is Cyclops. We have talked about the Axeman. You're right. <laughs> Cyclops is also, he's the leader. He's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. He has a power that he can't control and therefore Ooh. spends a lot of time being kind of annoying about it. <laughs> and he is in a long-term committed relationship with a woman he doesn't deserve. Ooh. Uh, okay, so this is a little different. Um, Vainte wants to know what songs would we choose for our Animorph soundtrack? Whoa. I needed to do way more research for this. Grace got one. <laughs> I, do. I only know how it goes. I don't know the title of the song. Sing it? it for us. <laughs> Sing it all. Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes. <laughs> oh, man. Um. <laughs> makes you change. Changes. I, I now want to go through and assign songs, like, theme songs to all the Animorphs, but I'm not prepared to do it right now. Okay. We'll throw, throw it back for the listeners. And okay. Maybe we'll prepare for, for a later a later Mailbag episode. Okay. And lastly, a question from previous guest host Liz. If the Animorphs had a podcast, what would it be about? Uh, Cassie would start a podcast about saving the environment, and each week she would interview an animal in the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center and she would get one of her friends to be the voice of the animal, and they would go along with it to varying degrees. Love it. Marco would get very into it, and Cassie would have to cut most of the footage. Uh, Rachel would go along with it because she cares a lot about Cassie, but she would be very bad at it. Jake would go along with it with like a very willing spirit, but he just wouldn't be very interesting at it. And Tobias would be way too good and insightful at it. And <laughs> Axe would not understand a lot of the questions. I think... Tobias would have a very creative podcast where he like does like poetry with also like mm. realistic forest foley noises. <laughs> uh, that it's like very personal and angsty. Yeah, I think Marco, he would record the podcast and then never share it. Marco would 
would try and have a podcast like Serial where he's like an investigative reporter, but he'd be really, really bad at it. I was going to say Marco would try to just have a humor podcast where he just is funny and like doesn't really have specific like topics and then no one would listen to it. Jake's got a sports podcast. (laughs) He he just watches games. Yes. That's the name of the podcast. (laughs) Axe would have a podcast that he intends to share with the Andalites someday, like sort Mm -hmm. of just an audio diary. Axe would have a podcast that is... Every week, 45 minutes of silence, because he wouldn't understand how a microphone works. (laughs) Rachel started a podcast, realized it wasn't her format, and moved to shopping recommendations online. Oh, I was going to say Rachel has an Instagram. Or, yes. Yeah, Rachel has an Instagram. Yeah. 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 All right. Rachel guest stars on Marco's podcast and just insults him the whole time. Rachel and Marco would be great podcast hosts together. (laughs) Wait, that wasn't the end of that topic, though, because Gray had a question. What would all the Animorphs major in in college? Yes, that's my question. I think Cassie would be a philosophy major. Ooh, okay, you don't think she would do, like, pre-med or veterinary science or, like... Or maybe she'd be a veterinary science but with a philosophy minor. Yeah, or maybe she'd do philosophy but take all of the classes necessary, but, like, on a pre-vet track. Mm -hmm. She would definitely take a lot of classes and just work really hard in them all the time. And Rachel would never be working quite as hard, but would get better grades and Cassie would be really mad about it. Mm -hmm. That sounds right. So Um, Rachel probably can't actually major in mall knowledge. No, but it's going to be fashion merchandising. (laughs) She's going to get a 4.0 GPA. (laughs) She's going to get an A in history of polka dots. Rachel, Rachel, Having been through the Animorphs is going to be like a police officer or like something. Oh man! I mean, she, like maybe. Do you she think could she'll be, do ROTC? Maybe she could be. I could see her being like a prosecutor, like oh, trying to get yeah. into like DOJ or something. But like, if she doesn't go the lawyer route, I think that she would be like. Do you think she'd like go to West Point? Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I already wrote her being like a finance person, which I could definitely see, like something cutthroat. Yeah, Rachel definitely gets an MBA from Harvard. Mm, uh huh. Maybe like a joint MBA JD. Hmm. Axe would be an anthropology major. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Xenopology? <laughs> well, anthro refers to, to humans, so that works. I, I can't Exobi- believe that. He'd be an exobiology major. <laughs> yeah, he, would, he would call it biology, to actually call it exobiology, and everyone would be like, you mean biology? And he'd be like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that Elfingor didn't study humans. It's just such a wasted opportunity. It's true. But I'm, I still can't believe that she didn't study surgery. So I know. Lots of bad decisions happening. So Marco. Marco would drop out of college and found Facebook. <laughs> he is not. He, he's not good enough With Axe. He'll have the idea. Axe will provide the execution. Mm-hmm. And Jake's going to be. Jake is going to study whatever the jocks study uh-huh. at his school. He might study like sports management. I don't no, know. Jake's going to be a history major. <laughs> yeah, history of war. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. See, yeah, I don't think that. it's not about their type. It's like it's like you know, assuming that like the war just ended, like how would they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, like, that's they true. That's true. I like it. Tobias would obviously be a, a um, queer theory major. Oh yes, because he wouldn't. He'd Women have to start his studies. own. He'd have to start his own mm-hmm. field, but mm-hmm. that's how that would not be his, ornithology. That would be his end. I like it. Okay, thank you. Asked and answered. Um, so it's time to pick another topic. Back to you, Gray. Theories. All right. So these are just some theories that jumped out to me that people brought up throughout the history of the last 10 episodes or so. So Kate has a theory about episode or book 18. I always thought the Animorphs popped back to Earth in order of mass from lightest to heaviest. This was not something I ever questioned as a kid. 
That's definitely not true because Marco popped back after Rachel. <laughs> Shut down. Sorry. Yeah. Kate. Nope. Nope. Uh, and Rachel before Cassie? No. Rachel's super tall. Cassie is four foot now. Like, yeah. From Avian yeah. Beezer, do you think every host who has a Yurk starve out of them sees Cryak? If they talk to one of the free Hork Pajir, would they all be like, yes, angry red eye, very bad? <laughs> I mean. They aren't the Animorphs, but they're still interfering with the Yurk Conquest. And Cryak's a big guy. He could be mad at a lot of different people. <laughs> or, if not Cryak, do they see something else? Ooh. Okay, because I think probably they don't all see Cryak. Our theory was that Tamarash was one of Cryak's agents, and yes. that was why. Yeah, right? like, Cryak was specifically monitoring this operation. That makes more sense to me. But do you think they do see something different, like, into... Because, like, the idea was, like, the veil between life and death was, like, thin because... Oh, that's what they said in the, Yeah, the yeah. barrier was removed or something. So maybe they do see, like, the weird Elemis space where you see all, the, like, the lines of space-time and you see all the insides and outsides at the same time. <laughs> so if, if you have not tra- attracted the attention of one of these great cosmic powers, you just see nothing. It's just, like, <laughs> Z-space No, but, static. like, Z-space. Yeah, maybe yeah. they see the Z-space. And they're like, like why that. is there a boy floating around in here? That yeah, seems weird. <laughs> some of them have seen <laughs> Tobias's <laughs> form, or maybe Arburn's. Okay, so how about what reward should they have asked the Alamist for in Book 26? Because he asks them what they would like, and they're just like information. But they could have asked for payment of some kind, right? Take off the two-hour limit. Other suggestions? Mm, kill all the years. <laughs> Start with that. <laughs> okay, well, the get problem is... Get out free card? Yeah. Uh-huh. Maybe A, get out of Nothlet free card for each of them, but that would be so dangerous. Secure so. Cassie's barn? You know? Oh. Like, there's some really That's true. There are smaller things. things that they could do. That wouldn't, that maybe the Elmist would be allowed to do that wouldn't violate his terms. Make their parents stop, you know, asking questions and being worried about them. Oh, that would be creepy. That would go so wrong. Yeah, well. Yeah, they can't ask for that. It's like Hermione (laughs) erasing her parents' memories. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but maybe they. Missed opportunity for sure. Mm Yeah. I like the idea of like securing Cassie's barn, like having a place where they are safe. Some sort of uh, box that they could put the morphing cube in so that the Yerks with their technology can't find it. Where the safe hiding space. Uh, so Joyce Weeper on Tumblr writes in uh, on the question of how does Visser 3 leave Alarin to feed? So apparently that was on a Q&A on a back cover oh. at one point. And uh, Kay Applegate said maybe restraints and being held down by a small army. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Joyce Weeper's theory is that it maybe, you know, Yurks can maintain consciousness when their hosts are struggling. Um, mm. So maybe drugs or stun settings or maiming plays a part and then maiming. you're able to morph out from the ill effects later on which i thought was an insightful and horrifying theory although maiming i mean we've seen the tactical officer in book 18 had his tail cut off and it was implied that he wouldn't be able to just morph out of it so right and axe's arm had to be reattached unclear i know that like when they were all operating the time matrix in the Andalite Chronicles, there was this thing where, like, Esplin was more able to do it because he was protected by his host's body or whatever. Yeah, sure super mentions that, yeah. But I think if, if the host is unconscious, can the Yurk exit? Like, it seems like if the host is killed, the Yurk dies. I don't know. It's it's tricky. All right, one last theory. It's more kind of a speculation question and maybe is in Gray's court. But um, Miriam writes in over email... Um, I don't remember if we f- ever find out about this, but why isn't Visser 1 in charge of the Earth invasion? Um, for one thing, she has a human host, um, so she can blend in more easily. Seems like Earth is very important for Yurks, so why not Visser 1, who is more important than Visser 2 or Visser 3, manage the invasion? 
Thoughts about that, Greg? Visser 1 is in charge of the strategy for the entire year invasion of all of So the she put Visser 3 in charge of Earth? She doesn't have a ton of options. They're oh. all done. <laughs> <laughs> so she's overseeing all of it, and therefore Visser 3 is in charge of the Earth invasion. Visser 2 is in charge of the Lyran invasion. Mm-hmm. Visser 4 is, and so so on. But she's got the kind of overall. I don't know if she could be, I don't think she's Visser 3's boss, because it seems like they're rivals. Like in 5, we saw her setting the Animorphs free to like embarrass Visser 3. And it, it seems like she is in subtle ways like undermining him. That wouldn't make sense if she'd like placed him in that position. Good point, good point. I don't know. Maybe Visser 3 just blackmailed some people and got the job. <laughs> I like to think that the answer is bureaucracy. Like, yeah. That seems right. Especially given that he's been Visser 3 for 13 years. Yeah. With no and just yeah. that impression from book five of when they have the different colored uniforms and yeah. they're just like sabotaging each other for no reason. Uh-huh. Like they, yeah. they could have ended the war against the Animorphs there. And mm-hmm. Visser was like, nah. <laughs> I'd rather embarrass okay. Visser 3. So that takes us to the end of our theories round. Jenny, it's your time to choose a category. I choose from the one category remaining, Battle Morphs. Excellent choice. Thank you. It was tough, but I made it. All right. So before we get into this, Alex Pierce wants to know, which of the morphs the Animorphs currently have is most underused, and why do you think it should be used more? Liren. (laughs) Do they have it? I mean, why would they not have it? Okay. Okay. Everyone agrees with Liren. Let's go to the next one. (laughs) Okay. Quirk-Bajir. Yeah, I agree. Quirk-Bajir should be used more, because they could pretty easily get permission, and it's super versatile. I mean, they, yeah, they already have permission. And, and, and more Angelite. stealthy, too. Stealthier. Angelite is underused. Yeah. Angelites are real good fighters. Yeah. Then maybe you need training to use the tail. I don't know. Is that innate? <laughs> what if they all morph Angelites and start falling over? That would be so humiliated. <laughs> Dragonfly. Really good insect. Mm. Yeah. That's that was Avian Appeaser's answer. Oh, also. that's probably why I thought of it. So sorry, um, The reason is dragonflies have much better eyesight and are way faster. They fly faster than humans can run. Mm. Um, so there might need to be some trial and error catching ones that are powerful flyers but don't make a lot of noise in flight. The mm. least conspicuous aren't as strong flyers, and they can't stick to things like house flies. It's certainly not something to totally replace fly morph with, but it'd be a good option. Yeah, because they have all these things where like oh we're too we're too far away to get there in fly morph, so we have to like turn chimp and go into this truck like you know dumb things like that and they could just do dragonflies what do you think of the anamorphs battle morphs we've complained a little bit about why don't they use the elephants and rhinos more why is marco always the gorilla if he's always getting his guts torn out so like other than maybe the like narrative constraint of it yeah or i guess do we want to talk about that like yeah, we've talked about how it like represents a certain part of them. Someone made a really good point, I think, that like the diversity offered by the battle morphs is really important. Like you don't want six people who are gonna get tired quickly like Jake's tiger will. So, you know, I sort of buy that. But it is Right. The wolf is yeah. the endurance animal of the six. Oh, and yeah, this was definitely that comment where like in a lot of times when they're all the same animal, there is sort of like, I saw Marco swim in front of me. And you're like, how did you know it was Marco? Mm-hmm. And like having them all be different animals is actually a legit way to get around that constraint where it's like, oh, a grizzly bear. That one is Rachel. Right. Yeah. Rena pointed out, you get to say like, oh, oh it was Rena. Great. Okay. Um, you can say, Cassie, look out. But if they're all six polar bears, you have to be like, bear number two <laughs> on my left. No, not the, that bear. <laughs> oh, you're dead. Oh, well. <laughs> 
does that mean that in order to target thought speech, you have to know? No, you can target it, I think, to you your idea the of the person. Yeah, right? well, you don't need to know where they are, first yeah. of all. That's I, how they do the broadcasting when they're like deep underground. They're just saying, right. Tobias, Tobias. But you don't know that it's Cassie who needs to watch right. out because you don't know that that particular yeah, bear is Cassie. Cassie. But can I you target, you. if you don't know which Animorph is which, mm-hmm. can you target whoever that one is? Ooh, I don't know. Or do you have to have the person in mind to use thought speak? That is a good question. Because you can definitely thought speak. I don't know. That's really Because if you're presented with a stranger, you can thought speak to them. So maybe you could either thought speak to Cassie or you could thought speak to that wolf who needs to watch out. But it seems like they they can't really tell if it's individual or general thought speech. Sometimes it's like, I could tell he was thought speaking just to me because of like his tone of voice. So like you can kind of guess sometimes. Mm. But if someone says, watch out, you might not know it's you who needs to watch out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Avian Abuser goes on at length about kind of what the different diversity of animals brings to the table. Mm-hmm. And some of the points we've covered before, but I just wanted to call out. So, like, bears like to scare wolves off of their kills. One wolf will often harry the bear and nip at its back legs, keeping it occupied while the others eat the food. The distracting wolf is in danger if it gets hit, but they rarely are. Mm-hmm. Marco... Should probably bite more than punch. Mm. Uh, gorillas have very strong teeth. I really like this comment about Jake. Jake's tiger roar and bright colors are a banner the others can track. Oh, he can yeah, I love that. Not just that he has the like cat speed and strength and energy, but right. that he's the color can be the center is great. of attention. Yeah. I wonder how well all the other animals see color. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Um, but we see it in our mind's eye. So, yeah, so that's, uh, that's Battle Morphs. Nice. All right, it's almost time to wrap up this episode, but first, more of these messages. Gray, I want to watch some dramatic and entertaining programs on television, but there's nothing good on. What can I do? Well, what you need is more channels. How do I get more channels? You should call All Access Communications. Wow, are those the people who will steal telephone wires from local neighborhoods and bring them to your house to give you all the channels? That's the one. Now I can watch The Young and the Restless all day. Just wait till you learn about DVR. I was working in the blade ship late one night when my stock eyes beheld an eerie sight. On the wall was a line of six little flies. Were they silly bugs? Or were they andalite spies? I did the morph! I did the monster morph. The monster morph. I ate them up with a snorf. The monster morph. You would have thought I was wharf. The monster morph. I did the monster morph. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Those were so funny, or they will be once we record them. All right. Um, so this is our rapid fire round before we get into some final questions. Um, so we'll keep this short and snappy. Okay. Ready? Question from KS. Would you rather spend a day in the company of a bunch of Helmicrons or a bunch of Escort? For the sake of comparing like with like, the Escort are from the War Guild. Oh, can I morph? Nope. Helmicrons. You know, I'm not sure I would survive either one. Do The Helmicrons don't have a morphing ray, though, right? They don't have the cube. Mm, no, they don't have the cube. Okay, Helmicrons. I think, I'm, yeah, Helmicrons. Uh, from Miriam. Um, in book six, for the three days axe morph Jake, um, did he go back to his Andalite body during nighttime? Or did he sleep in Jake morph and wake up every two hours to demorph? Danger of being trapped as an athlete versus danger of Tom discovering him. Yeah, that's real rough. I feel like it would have made more sense, actually, for, like, Marco to have taken his place at night or something. But also Marco is busy dealing with Jake, you know. I think he used his... I think Andalites are probably very good at waking up when they decide to with their time sense. And so Mm -hmm. I think he 
slept. Oh, I'm going to assume that Andalites have a sleep cycle roughly equivalent to the human, like 90 Eight minutes. Clock. Yeah. yeah. He did that, yeah. Well, he sleeps very lightly, so probably mm-hmm. more his mom. Yeah. Or I don't know, Tobias on the window. Caca! <laughs> Every 90 minutes. All right, so KS would like us to weigh in on a fandom debate. That drunk world leader guy whose room they all barreled through, who stopped security <laughs> from shooting them. Was he, Boris Yeltsin, Vladimir Putin, or someone else? Vladimir Putin. I don't know my Russian history. <laughs> I'm going to say Yeltsin. I'm pretty sure Yeltsin was like famously drunk all the time. Oh, so that's okay. the characteristic. Great, more great, you're right. Yep, Boris Yeltsin. Yeah. It great. would be inter- an interesting backstory for Putin, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so what cold weather morph did they forget about in 25 that they should have really um, used? I've probably read this comment, and yet I still don't remember. Pushover Media Critic points out that Jake's tiger morph is a Siberian tiger. Oh. In Book 22, what was the solution? Was it not turning David into a rat? Kit's theory is that the solution was not the plan Cassie came up with, but the split-second decision Jake made at the end of Book 21. Rachel's the solution. <gasps> Whoa. Ooh, I like Ooh. it. What other character could be in a stream besides Cassie? Tobias. Oh, I remember this. We don't know. All right. Should I just read it? Yeah. I think this was Avian Appeaser. Uh, incidentally, I'm fond of the idea that either Alarin is in a stream or Esplan is through him because Mr. Three is an amazingly fast morpher. Yeah. Oh, that's um, a really good He point. often morphs in tense or full combat situations without being nearly helpless for two minutes like everyone but Cassie. Yeah. Uh, and then they he probably morphs quickly and morphs useful parts of the animals first. Yeah. I also like the idea that... Esplin might somehow be in a stream mm-hmm. versus Alarin. Like, I don't know, maybe Alarin. I also love the idea, which is totally unsupported by canon, that some of the monsters he creates, he's actually created by combining DNA through a very advanced furless maneuver. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, like this huge, like, rock monster that also breathes fire is like a combination of, like, some tiny fire breathing thing and a huge rock monster or something. He took an onyx and a Charizard. <laughs> 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 All right, and that brings us to the end of our rapid-fire questions round. Okay. Um, Final question before we get to some great specific prediction questions. All right. This is from Jeff. What have you learned about the fandom from doing your podcast? Or how has doing a podcast affected your perception of Animorphs fandom or your perception of the series as a whole? That's a lot of questions. None of which are for me, so go on. (laughs) I think I've discovered that the fandom's a lot more alive than I thought. I still feel like I haven't, you know, deliberately become a part of the broader fandom as much as, like, I don't know, I feel a little guilt about this. Like, I should be somehow out there more than I am, which might be unfounded. Well, I think it's been really interesting to see. I sort of feel like the fandom kind of maps onto, like, other fandomy things that I'm familiar with. It seems to be like there's like the type of people who post memes on Facebook and they're mm-hmm. like the other podcasts sort of approach things from different angles. And yeah. it's like the subreddit tends to be more reddity in the kind of things that it talks about. <laughs> like it, it feels like it's a fairly active and fairly small fandom that stretches the breadth of like what fandom can be. Yeah. I have only looked a little bit at the, the fan fiction that's out there in terms of categories and stuff, but it, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't yeah. seem like there's a ton of like really long stories out there. Like there are a couple. There seem like there are a few really big ones. Significant. Yeah. Yeah. And so I also get the impression, especially from some commenters, that there is like a pretty storied history of Animorphs fandom. Like if Mm -hmm. you're really into it, there's like a lot of personalities. You remember the debates about like. Are you a Cassie person or a Marco person? (sighs) You know, I don't know. 
Apparently, uh, Andalite chins, whether or not they have chins, was a big thing for a while. Yeah. I mean, maybe we're it all still about is. The torso I don't know. Theory, oh, yeah, like, of course. Yeah, like, I think the torso thing is hilarious, but maybe fandom is, like, sick of it and thinks it's really stupid. <laughs> you know? Or they just have really strong opinions about it, and they used to think that you were, you know, you had great thoughts about Animorphs. They're like, but he disagrees me with me on this, so it's mm-hmm. over. Right. So I'd be, I'd be really curious to get into it. And yeah. I'm mm-hmm. so excited to, like, listen to the other podcasts and read all of the. <laughs> you know, tumblers that I've seen little pieces of here. So also, just generally, like, once we get to talk about the whole series, I'm really excited yeah. about engaging with the fandom on that. My perception of the series has definitely changed. I think doing this level of close reading, like, reading one book every week, as an adult, like, I just have much... Like, some of the questions we've been talking about, like, how the how the characters changed, like, I just don't think we're really on my radar. Obviously, a lot of the social justice type of dynamics, like, weren't as uh, things that I was as aware of as a kid. It's kind of silly. I think it's just like, I had not considered the Animorphs in this much depth yeah. until mm-hmm. starting this podcast. But my main takeaway is just like, oh, the Animorphs were really good. I had great taste in books and I was super <laughs> lucky that I read these when I did. Yeah. Like, I just feel like the Animorphs are awesome and I, returning to them makes me think, oh, I can recommend this to like anyone. I would want other kids who should be reading middle grade fiction to read it. Mm. Like, I just think it stands up really well. It really does. Mm. It's definitely, I've been approaching it with a very different mindset than I did when I was 13, weirdly. Where, like, when I was 13, I was definitely reading specifically for the things that, like, I wanted out of these books. And now I'm more, like, evaluating with sort of a broader perspective and, like, trying to pull out the things I think will be interesting to talk about and reading it less just for me, I guess, just Mm. automatically changes things. So, Bray. A couple of predictions to leave us with. So one is a little more specific. What sci-fi plots have we not hit yet that you're hoping or expecting we get to? This is such a better Jenny question. Than Grace. <laughs> you can't ask me. I've read them. No, I know. but no, I don't remember like all of them. Standard plots. What Star Trek plots haven't been done yet? Exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I was like, we haven't done the Borg. We've done getting stuck in the past and pulled to another planet. There have been fewer space battles than I might expect, hmm. so I want more of those. This is such a good question, and I'm feeling so miserably at answering it. Shoot. <laughs> what about other, like, tropes? Or you mentioned the, it was all a dream. Right? <laughs> yeah. Are there other things like that? There there hasn't been a big um, sacrifice that one of the characters has to mm. make, really. I mean, they've kind of flirted with it, but there hasn't been. Yeah, because Tobias got stuck, but it wasn't. Like, he wasn't doing that to accomplish some other goal. Yeah. It was sort of a byproduct. Same thing with Aloran's choice that wasn't a choice. Yeah. That I thought was going to be, and it wasn't. <laughs> other, like, romantic storylines from a lot of that. Mm. I look forward to this. Parallel Universe they've done. Alien Invasion they've done. Um, Is this now a list of TV shows? <laughs> <laughs> Have they done a Parallel Universe, though? Have they? Dang, you guys, There's this is a list of top ten, ten plot lines you'll find in science fiction over and over again. And they've done... All, almost all of these. <laughs> what haven't they done? Robots, they've done. Mm. Interstellar travel, mm-hmm. they've done. Time travel, they've yep. done. Superpowers. Yeah, China, yeah. yeah. Bodily transformation. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. All of these. I don't know that one. <laughs> Including <laughs> maybe one of these days. They specifically mentioned parallel universe, which I think they have done. I mean, <laughs> okay. Uh, alien invasion, immortality. Kind of the chi, they haven't really thought about this. Post-apocalyptic world with seven and godlike aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Looking yeah. at you, you jerk. 
Um, so I don't, I don't know. All right. So then what about, this is a, a question from AJ who asked about hope earlier. Do you have any predictions for other themes, other arcs that might come up towards the end of the series? These are tough questions. Yeah. It is really tough. You commenters are wonderful and thoughtful and jerks. <laughs> okay. um, I predict there will be more about them growing up. Hmm. Like getting older, having had two or three years of kind of dealing with this stuff. And, you know, teenager angst getting worse as they turn 14 to 15. Mm-hmm. And then... Like um, Order of the Phoenix style. <laughs> yeah. And then maybe also more about they're still dealing with the ramifications of their actions, but now also dealing with that fallout within their relationships. Because there's like sort of a little bit of that. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. they poke at Cassie for making, doing whatever she did in 19 or whatever. But there hasn't been a lot of Jake made this call and it hurt Cassie. So now they have to deal with that fallout. Right. So they've they've sort of gotten more tight knit and you think that they're going to be more fractures. It's going to be harder. Or at least they'll have to work through stuff. Think about it more. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Good solid. And that brings us to the end. Whoa. Oh my goodness. All right. This has been a ride. Oh, thank you. A full half of this episode. <laughs> then, I think. Thank you for everybody who wrote in. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's so wonderful and to hear everyone's thoughts and comments and questions. And thanks to Ted for organizing them today. This was great. We'll see you. Well, we'll see you at the next mailbag, but also at Metamorphs Three. Yay! If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the books on our website. I am so happy we're doing this. <laughs> I'm cutting, like, all of that. Whatever. That bit at the end was good. <laughs>